Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You're listening to Puck and Roll. one and all my name is patrick lorty this is episode 12 of puck and roll and this is not just any ordinary episode this is a very special episode hockey is back you're listening to this on a tuesday maybe or on the wednesday but on wednesday the canadians and the leaves go toe-to-toe and of course there shall be blood there shall be massacres are you crazy this is in the 1970s the broad street bullies are long gone but it's still going to be pretty amazing we're all really hyped especially after what happened in the playoffs last year and we're going to be starting right away with scott cowan is giving us a quick recap of the montreal canadians with the segment the habs blitz Attention all puck and roll listeners, it's time for this week's edition of the Habs Blitz. I'm Scott Cowan, wishing all of our Canadian listeners a happy Thanksgiving and to what should be an exciting start to the 2021-22 NHL season for the Montreal Canadiens. With that being said, let's get into the thick of things. Going into the first period, we have the main development that's come out of the Canadiens' camp over the past few weeks, goaltender Carey Price entering the NHL's player assistance program. Price, 34, is coming off yet another inconsistent, injury-riddled regular season offset by a spectacular performance in the 2021 playoffs, leading the Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final. While the reason behind his decision has rightfully been left unsaid, Price's wife, Angela, made a heartfelt post on Instagram detailing her husband's journey, and Price's decision has been met with overwhelming support from both players, analysts, and fans alike. With Price absent, Montreal run of the tandem of Jake Allen and Samuel Montembeau in goal. Allen, 31, played a key role in the Canadiens' ultimate clinching of a playoff spot in 2021, stepping in as starter after Price went down with a concussion. A former starter for the St. Louis Blues, Allen should hopefully bring some much-needed stability into the Canadiens' Montembeau, a waiver wire pickup by the Canadiens earlier this month, should fill the backup role nicely and has some experience as a backup option with the Florida Panthers. Leading on to the second period, the Canadiens announced their opening night roster for their Wednesday night matchup against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Going into the preseason, Montreal had its fair share of contention at the forward position, and as such, the Habs will be running with a notably inflated 15 forwards as compared to just six defensemen. Among this group, former Laval Rocket top scorers Alex Bizzle and Ryan Paling stand out as surprise picks, but both having seen little of any ice time for the Canadians last season, even with the numerous COVID-19 outbreaks present in the all-Canadian North Division. Joining them as some of the wild card options in the lineup is free agent additions in Matthew Perot and Cedric Paquette, as well as one more surprise addition on the waiver wire. Heading into the third period, the Canadians made a bit of a splash off the waiver wire on Monday, picking up Toronto Maple Leafs forward Adam Brooks. 
Brooks, 25, was a former fifth-round pick of the Leafs in 2016 and has been a regular member of the Toronto Marlies top six since his professional debut in 2017-18. This past season, the Winnipeg Natives saw some brief ice time with the Leafs in, in the Leafs top six, alongside Joe Forden and Austin Matthews, among others, putting up 4-1-5 totals over 11 games. Now to round things off going into overtime, the Canadiens' regular season up winner is Wednesday, and hockey fans couldn't be more excited. With a return to full capacity, a return to the normal divisions, and a return to normalcy in general, in spite of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, Canadiens fans can breathe a sigh of relief and focus on the most important aspect of Le Bleu Blanc Rouge, the hockey. While it will definitely be a tough matchup versus the Leafs, Montreal will be able to run off a new core and see how they do to start the 2021-22 season. To a great start to the 2021-22 season, I'll throw things back to the host of Puck and Roll Podcast, Mr. Patrick. Back to you. And thank you very much, Scott. And now at this time, it's we are going to be joined by Sebastian High, Joshua Rosa, Scott Cowan's taking run as well. And we have a very special guest with us. His bio states that he's an NHL draft data analyst and independent scout. He is the head of video analysis at McKean's Hockey. He's a YouTube creator. He collects data on NHL draft eligibles and present, presents findings and videos, reports, and does a weekly live stream. He is the head of Scouching. Scouching.ca is the, is the website. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Will Scouch joins us on the show. Hello, Hello. Will. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Hello. Yes, I waved to my webcam. Indeed. Yes. Good, 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 e- good evening, folks, and a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, man. It is a great pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Um, now, the first thing um, I'm going to I'm going to get the ball rolling because uh, for those who who don't know you, maybe can, if you can maybe just give us a little presentation as to what exactly is scouting and what's your story. How did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, um, I didn't make a PowerPoint presentation for this, unfortunately. So, uh, but I'll just I'll just talk Aww. you through it. I know, I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, but basically, uh, my thinking of of my job is basically I try to sort of combine uh, traditional scouting and 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 data analytics as best I can, um, and trying to cut through as much bias as I can because a lot of talent scouting can be very subjective. It can be very dependent on the individual and what the individual values. And I think there's a part of that that belongs in reality, but there's also, you know, you want to cut through the crap and, and really get to de- get down to what you're dealing with. Um, and so I've been doing this since 2016, you know, seriously, seriously for the last three drafts since 2018. Um, so that would be, oh, four now. Oh my God. Uh, so four <laughs> drafts. And uh, every year it's just gotten bigger and bigger. Um, I kind of really sort of started it when I realized that the sort of analytics work in hockey was very much focused on the NHL. There was very little attention paid to the, to, to outside the NHL just yet, at least publicly. Um, And, you know, I, I had done some volunteer work with some OHL teams, just sort of digging into that junior hockey world and everything. And um, I thought, you know, why isn't there somebody or some something out there where you can actually look into what actually a player is doing at the junior level and, and exploring if there's value in the draft that can be found by looking at a player's performance and analyzing the, the beyond just looking at production and, and whatever anecdotal evidence people provide through scouting reports. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I decided to take a go at it. I used to write for Dauber Prospects, which kind of also got me into 
working like in this world a little bit but um after a little while i realized i wanted to maybe try things things a little bit more independently um and just sort of put my work out there sort of as a resume of of what i'm doing um and it's just gotten bigger and bigger every year for me the youtube channel sort of came up from it because again not very many people seemed to be really devoting uh long form reports to these guys and 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 exploring what it is that they do um and nhl fans always love young players they always love the new guys that are coming in and coming up so uh it all just kind of happened slowly over the last little while it keeps getting more and more uh intense i guess you could say and uh and here i am amazing and what one of the things that stood out the most is um, you know, if you go if you go through your website, for example, you go into the blog section and you you analyze every single team and you point out who their top prospect is, and then you give your pick, mm-hmm. essentially being like, okay, you know what, like I agree or disagree with this, and you know, there's a few of them that stand out. For example, like let's take you know, well, we're let's talk about Mon- like the Canadians, for example. Uh, the Canadians, for example, uh, you mentioned that their uh, consensus pick is obviously Cole Caulfield. Yep. You said their top prospect is actually Sean Farrell. Well, so if I if if I'm looking at this casually, so you're telling me that Sean Farrell has a higher ceiling than Cole Caulfield, or is no, unless no, no, okay, okay. Uh, no. The the point <laughs> no the point of that exercise, like I like to again, like I said, this is Stirring very controversy much... is what you're exactly. Doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to piss as many people off as possible. Uh, no, but. The way that I think about a lot of my written work, uh, especially on my own website and when I'm putting out things like the piece that you referenced and and there's a couple of other ones like mock drafts and stuff, like I I think that there's a certain thing, there's a difference between sort of the, the, the common understanding of like, for example, you know, the average, like highest average ranked player on a draft board or something. And then a player that an individual scout might really go to bat for. So like, obviously if I'm sitting in a room with Montreal Canadian scouts, I'm not going to sit there and go, Hey, Hey jerks. Um, Cole Caulfield (laughs) isn't as good as Sean Farrell. Like no one is going to do that, including me. (laughs) But if they, if, if, if say Mark Bergevin is going around the board and going, Hey, sell me on a guy that's already in our system. Sell me on a guy, sell me on a guy, sell me on a guy. Mm-hmm. The guy that I'd be most prepared to defend or promote is Sean Farrell. Yeah. So that that's a guy, that's one where it's like, people might not think too much about him. I think people think about a guy like Sean Farrell more now because he had such a huge year in the USHL last year. Yep. Um, but he was a guy where when he was drafted, I was like, yeah, if I'm working in Montreal's department, it's like, you don't, you don't even, it's just, who do we draft here? And they point at me and I go, yeah, Sean Farrell. Like, okay. And then now, now it's looking like a player where I can get behind him. So, so that's more of, of what I'm doing. Cause I think you can like most people and their dog would know that Cole Caulfield is the guy that Montreal Canadiens fans can look forward to the most. But I think that if you're working in scouting and everything, and you want to sort of get more serious about it, it's important to identify case studies where you're really down with the player and why because i think that that really presents to people what your philosophy is and what you look look for in a player and if you can nail that down which it's i think it's more difficult than it sounds if you can nail that down then it it makes it a lot easier to communicate things properly and like check yourself and and work with other people and talk to them and speak the same kind of language okay so two different guys in the hab system that have stood out in the past year for very different reasons um, and who have different, very different, I guess, um, identities as players are, are Matthias Norlander and Raphael, Raphael Arit Pinard. Mm-hmm. So they're both favorites of ours on the show. 
One is an ultra skilled defenseman, and the other is like the grittiest, hardest working forward you can Im- imagine, right? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> polar opposites, basically. Yep. But I was just curious, like, what are your thoughts on them now, and like, maybe what, what were your thoughts on them going into their respective draft years? Yeah, because both, so, both were drafted as overagers. Yep. So in their draft year, I mean, Norlinder was not what he was, uh, I, I or what he is now. I I don't remember ever hearing anything about Matthias Norlinder when he was first draft eligible. Like, and again, this would have been I think 2018. So this was back before I was as intertwined as I am now. Um, and I think the different. I mean, it 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 didn't take me very long in his draft year for me to go. I can see why the NHL invited him to the combine and how you know I thought. It would surprise me if a team took him in the top 100, but I could see it because usually NHL teams don't take guys that come out of nowhere like Norlinder did in the top 100. They usually are more reserved than that. But I mean, I the Habs have done a good job adding talent over the years. It's been quite a few years of that with Trevor Timmons and Mark Bergevin, in my opinion. And that's just another one of those where they just swing on skill because there's a ton of it there. And with Harvey Pinard, I mean, one of the first YouTube videos I ever put out was after the 20, I think 2019 draft was, um, you know, looking at guys who went undrafted that might be worth a look. And and Harvey Pinard was on that list and he went back and had a great year with Runaranda and got drafted in the seventh round. And that, like you said, like he's a gritty, hardworking guy. And, you know, when he was drafted by Montreal, it's like, you know what? Like, I think even if he doesn't make the NHL, I think that's a good guy you want on your team, right? Like whether it's with Laval um, or whatever, that's the kind of guy that I think you reward with a draft pick. Like he was undrafted, I think twice. Um, and, you know, it, I think it means something. Like I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a 20 year old who has been in the QMJHL for three years or whatever and working as hard as he has and producing as well as he has. And just getting that gratification of an NHL team, not like putting you through the ringer of, oh, we'll invite you to a camp and invite you to this camp and invite you to this camp. They straight up just drafted him. And I think he earned it. Um, He's a gritty, hardworking guy. I don't know if there's NHL upside, but he might be a depth guy. And if you can get a depth guy with a seventh round pick that is replacement level, then that means that's one less free agent you have to sign. And he was a guy that always, I really, really, really liked watching. And especially when he was up at the Memorial Cup, like that's when you kind of really see how hard these guys can can work and and he was out there grinding and banging and scoring and doing everything so um really i mean they're both i'm just it makes sense they're both montreal canadians prospects now because montreal does a pretty darn good job of identifying guys like that and guys like norlinder and just taking swings on them and back to what we were talking about with uh, Pinard, he definitely for a while was one of the more overlooked prospects in the Canadians organization. And I think the same thing can be said for a guy like Michael Pizzetta, who definitely stood out a lot in this year's preseason. So with that being said, uh, who's an overlooked prospect in the half system that you like a lot or you think has a potential? I, I really like um, I like Rhett Pitlick. He's a guy who uh, came out of high school. I remember watching him uh, in his draft year. He was playing on a, the same team as a defenseman who the Leafs drafted in, Mike Kester. And I always came away thinking that there was more to like in up in that sort of Raphael Harvey Pinard kind of brand in Rhett Pitlick, where he's quick and aggressive and sneaky, but just a hardworking, aggressive offensive guy. And, you know, so whenever I, I, when I, I whenever I was watching that high school team in Minnesota to, to watch Mike Kester, Pitlick was always the guy that was sticking out more. And so when Kester kind of slipped in the draft relative to what people were expecting and, and Pitlick, I think Pitlick went before Kester, um, I wasn't super surprised. And, and Montreal, it's just another one of those guys where Montreal seems to value those quick, speedy, aggressive energy guys. Um, 
you know, and it's either it's either that or they value the like Greek Adonises who are 220 pounds of muscle. And I guess what they're hoping is that maybe Rhett Pitlick can put on that extra weight and get to 200 pounds and be one of those physical energy guys that actually can move around the ice. So it's an interesting strategy, but Pitlick is the guy that I would definitely toss in there as an answer to your question. I have a question as someone that has pretty much predominantly just watched the NHL in the past uh, and trying to get into prospects and analysis like that is really daunting because there's just so much out there. So many different leagues, AHL, OHL, WHL, the Q, everything. It's really intimidating to try and get (laughs) into. So I guess what, what would you suggest like, and there, there's so much analysis out there from TSN to Sports Center to people like you, independent people all lie. Where do you really start on something like that? Um, well, I'll tell you what I did. I uh I mean I started slow. You know, obviously you you obviously there's a there's there is a hundred percent a Dunning Kruger effect going on in pretty much every industry ever, but scouting it definitely exists where you start off thinking you're smarter than everybody and you know more, and then you make some bets and you say some dumb things that make you look dumb. I did that. I still do that. And then over time you realize that was dumb and here's why. That was dumb and here's why, or I should have trusted myself here and here's why. Um, but to bring it all the way back to the beginning, I honestly, like I never played, I never played high level hockey whatsoever. I was actually a terrible hockey player and I still am terrible, but I love hockey and I've always loved it. And I always have been a very analytical person. And the way that I kind of got into it was honestly, I just wanted to watch more hockey around the world and see where all these guys were coming from. And that there, I, I felt that there was a, a gap in analysis in the NHL draft. So I figured out, oh, let's start from scratch and see where it goes. So what I did was I sort of said, all right, I'm going to forget about every hockey game I've ever watched. Like just pretend I've never seen hockey before and just sit back and just, you know, watch whatever. So I was watching, um, you know, one thing I really like to do is watch back in those days, like watch really bad teams play really good teams and just identify what that looks like. Like what is a bad team and why, or what is a good team and why, and then identifying what two good teams playing against each other looks like. And when they're, you know, what makes good players stand out when they're playing good teams and, and how to identify factors that can at least help. Cause all of this is about probability. Like there's no, I don't think there's one magical formula where you can identify a player and say, this player is objectively better than this player, or this prospect is objectively better than this. You can, you can deal with the probability and there are factors that push guys closer to the top of my board for sure. Um, but, but, Again, it's more about developing your eye and watching as much as you can. And and really, again, for me, it was like deconstructing and then reconstructing how I watch the game and how I perceive the events that go on the ice. Like I quickly, you know, it's hard to, one, one question that I asked myself pretty early on that I think every person who wants to get into hockey analysis really should ask themselves is like, what does a good hockey player look like? You know, like what... I, I, there's no one answer, but you, it's, it's good to know if you're watching an NHL game, like what, who are the players on the ice that are succeeding the most often and why, and how are they doing it? Um, And, and just going from there can, can sort of get you on the right track. 
And when it comes to watching games, I mean, I, again, I started relatively small. Russian junior hockey is free on YouTube. Russian minor hockey is free on YouTube. Um, I started with those. My first video was Pavel Durofiev, and all of that was me manually watching three-hour-long YouTube videos and tracking data and scanning through it all for when he was on the ice. Um, and then that leads into uh, that. That led into hockey TV for me, where they have the USHL, NAHL you know ntdp in the u.s all the junior a hockey you could ever want and that's where the alex newhook video came from um so really it was just trying to watch as much hockey as i could find per dollar without spending like eight hundred dollars on a bunch of different streaming packages and trying to cover absolutely everyone at once um and that was though that was really sort of the the biggest uh starting point for me and then over time you know once i landed with dauber and they offered me a, a spot covering minnesota that helped me also talk to other people and get to know other people and how they think about the game and, and refine what I think. Um, and then over time, uh, companies like Instat come along where you can watch pretty much anyone you want and it's all tagged so you can identify them by ice time and it's for scouts and that's a service where I've luckily been able to gain access to it and that makes viewing a lot easier. Um, but at, in the olden days, as I would call it, like four years ago, it was a lot of you know, manual YouTube watching and hockey TV was a big resource for me. And it was just really watch as much as possible and just try to pick up on what makes good players great. And even in prospects, you know, like just forgetting for a while in 2019 that Jack Hughes was the number one guy. I would just watch Jack Hughes and go, okay, but why? Like, why do scouts love Jack Hughes so much? And not just listen to what other people had to say, but like see it for myself and actually watch um, and, and just sort of build you know, because then there could be a time where you sit back and go, I don't think I agree. And that's when you can start to really refine things is when you start to develop your eye for what to look for. And then you might look at a player, maybe not Jack Hughes specifically, but there have been players in the 2019, 2020, 2021 draft where I'm going, I don't see it. And you have to be willing to to stick your stake in the mud there and go, I, I don't see it. And then if you're right, that's one thing. And if you're not right, that's a whole other thing. And, and balancing all that together is kind of the really hard part and you may never get it right. Uh, I don't think I'm quite getting it right every single time. Um, but it's all about just figuring it out as you go, kind of. And just, you know, for me, it was not about biting off more than I can chew right off the bat. And then over the last few years, it's just kind of settled into a rhythm where I can cover almost, there are still players that get drafted that I've never seen before in my life. But the majority of them, I'm at least aware of their existence, which to me is good. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Will Scouch is chatting with us with, along with Sebastian Hyde, Joshua Rosa, and Scott Cowan. Uh, Will, um, one of the, uh, well, we were talking off air about um, the Q, actually, with, uh, and the Gatineau Olympic um, more specifically. And uh, something that, 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 a really interesting scenario happened in 2020 when they had not one, but four first round picks, which is absolutely bananas. And I, I can't imagine an NHL team having four first round picks and well failing, but you know, there are certain teams who are prone to that and we're not going to name them. <laughs> um, but they drafted Tristan Luno, Anthony Vero, Samuel Savoy, and a defenseman that I'm becoming a very big fan of in Noah Warren. Mm-hmm. Can you give us maybe your thoughts on, on these players and also maybe like the impact that it can have on a team, regardless of the level that with, with picking four first round picks? Yeah. Um, so just to go over those guys, I mean, I've only, I've, I've only seen them in very brief spurts this year. It's still very early in the year. Um, 
but I've seen a lot of Antonin Vero over the last two years. I watched him at the Youth Olympic Games last year and thought he looked really interesting. Um, the the thing about we'll start with him. Like the thing about him that's really strange is that he's five foot eight, and I'm usually the kind of person who can set size aside and I go, you know what? It's only one piece of the puzzle. But it does mean that if you're on the smaller side, you you need to make up for it in other ways. You have and to if you're, and if, to begin with. Yes. Yeah. And if you're on the other side of the spectrum, if you're gigantic, you need to have other things that make up that because there are disadvantages to being big as well. Yeah. You know, and I'm not I'm not saying that every NHL prospect needs to be six feet and that there's that sweet spot there. But again, it's so much about developing your philosophy is weighing all of those pros and cons of all of these different variables that can be within one player. So skating, size, intelligence, all those things like you can be the smartest hockey player in the world and not a great skater and still find your way into the NHL. It's it's hard, I've but it's it. possible. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that can be said for guys who can skate and maybe don't move the puck super well or guys who, you know, whatever. It doesn't, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, and with Bureau, he's, you know, I see a lot of quickness and scale out of him, but the whole thing with me is that if you're that small, it's got to be like, 10 out of 10 like you've got like logan stankoven last year was a guy that i loved yeah. and his and his energy level his momentum his speed his skill his shot quality his playmaking were all just banging like they were sick and and the rest of his game like he's not the most physical player but you again he makes up for it in many other ways um and he tries which is another thing i look for in really small players even if you're not the most physical player there's so many things that you can benefit in hockey from if you just apply pressure to your opponent. You don't not you don't need to kill them. It's just make them make decisions that they don't want to make. And that can cause a lot of issues. And there's a bit of that in Vilgo. So he's a guy that I think right now, just pre- preemptively, is in my second round. I, I have an eye on him, and I, I'll definitely do a couple of games on him at least this year. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of these sort of smaller guys that ends up going like late second, early third round where a team's just taken a flyer on him and says, look, if the skill level can figure itself out, if he gets stronger, if he gets you know quicker on his feet, then maybe there's something else there. Um, and I like him. Uh, you mentioned Noah Warren. Um, I've been a fan of him as well. I mean, I again, similar to Vigo, I'm not sure he's like a 10 out of 10 player, but uh, I liked the sort of maturity in his game from last year. He moves pretty well as well for a guy that size. Um, uh, most of what I've seen of him from was, was from last year where the production and ice time was a little bit more limited. So I am looking forward to seeing what he can do this year, because I think, you know, I, again, with defensemen, I kind of set size aside, but there is definitely an advantage to having defensemen that are six foot three, six foot four mobile, and, and they can use their stick before they rely on, on physical play. Like a reason I love, uh, or not love, I would say, but really like Caden Gooley as a prospect is because he's that big physical guy, but he's not out there doing that constantly all of the time. He relies on stick play first, and then the physical play comes second because physical play can remove him from play. But if he can just use a stick and turn a play over, then that's great. And I see a little bit of that in Noah Warren as well, where there's that mobility, but not you know mobile and physical to the point of making himself a defensive liability by creating a bunch of empty space when he goes chasing for hits. Um, so I'll be curious to see how he plays for the rest of the year. Tristan Luno is one where I, you know, he's not a bad player. Again, another one of these sort of smart and poised defensemen overall, but I've never been super blown away with his game. Um, maybe that's changed this year. I can't say I've seen a ton of him yet this year, but I will. Um, and and Savoie, I honestly can't tell you much. I haven't seen a ton of Samuel Savoie, but 
uh, it, when you mentioned four first round picks in one QMJHL draft, I mean, that's exciting. I think more than anything, oh, yeah. um, you know, and, and a guy like Vivo is exciting. I've, I've liked Warren for what he is. And I think, you know, there aren't there. The more you watch a lot of young players playing hockey around the world, the more you realize that certain types of players, like they just kind of stick out because of who else is in the league with them. And Noah Warren, I think is a big mobile sort of, decently skilled defensemen in a QMJHL filled with defensemen who are not particularly great defenders. You know, it's a pretty passive league relatively. Um, and so when players play like Noah Warren, it to me sticks out a lot more. And that's another thing that you have to be aware of. Like I watch a lot of Russian junior hockey and then there is, you know, a guy like Prokhor Poltapov last year who is physical and intense all the time, but in a world where nobody plays like that. So obviously it's going to stick out and he's a fine player, but again, with especially the Quebec league, in my experience, like you got to set your bar high and, but, but four first round picks is really exciting. And they do look like a pretty decent team, even though I believe they've lost four straight to start the year three straight, but uh, they're kind of fun. And, uh, and there are definitely some exciting names on that team. So uh, I'll have my eye on the Olympique for most of this year. Um, but yeah. A group of interesting players for sure. So on the show here, we've talked at length extensively about Montreal's last first round, and we're not going to mention it by name or anything. But <laughs> well, you can if you want to, Josh. You like to live dangerously, man. I can live dangerously. <laughs> I hated that so much. We all don't unpleasant. agree with it. Yeah. So open Pandora's box, but <laughs> his name is. Oh boy. <laughs> Not much. Turner Stevenson. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Turner Stevenson. Turner Stevenson, yes. Lin- Lindsay Vallis. Can we yeah, just keep naming the failed Habs first round picks? <laughs> yeah. There you go. So if you're Trevor Timmons or Mark Bergevin, who are you taking 31st overall in the first round? Um, let me check. Uh, I mean, I really thought it was going to be Logan Sankoven. I really, really did. I honestly thought that was who it was going to be. The, the Habs don't shy away from small players. And I really thought that that, that guy would check so many boxes with, for what the Habs are looking for. Like, you, ju- you have Brendan Gallagher on your team. You just look at Brendan Gallagher and go, see, here's another Western boy who everybody said was too small and was drafted way too late here's your roommate Logan and learn everything you possibly can from this guy all summer long. Um, That's not the direction they went. They went with a different Logan, Um, but probably it would have been the guy I would have pushed for, especially for a fit in that system would probably have been Stankoven. Um, Atu Ratu comes to mind as well, but I know that there were teams that didn't just didn't want him. They had him on their D and D list and maybe Montreal was another one of those. And if that's what happens, then that's what happens. I don't know everything there is to be known about every player possibly. So if there's something else there that put him down a lot of boards that I just didn't see on the ice, then that's one thing. So, so to answer your question quickly, probably would have been Logan Stankoven, especially for the Montreal Canadians. Yeah. What, what hurt even more was that during his draft interview, um, he also said that he grew up a Habs fan. Of course so he did. That's it was just, it was life just is like pain. twisting the knife. Yeah, yeah life is no, pain. Like, Everything I, hurts. I, I, I was pushing for Sankoven when like, they for the pick, and I just heard Montreal Canadiens are proud to select Logan. I was like, yes! <laughs> and it was just like, it was like the biggest high to just like the crashing low. But, a little bit, yeah. 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 Life is pain. That's how it works. 
You mean you mean being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan? Yeah. It, oh yeah. Uh. Oh yeah. I know Toronto. There's a there's it's it's been so cloudy here for the last fifty years, and I wonder why. I'm sorry. All or nothing. I went there. All or nothing. All or nothing. Yeah. All or nothing. yeah. <laughs> Scott, you had another question for our guest. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, like going a bit back to the Canadians and their current situation, one of the things that's sort of been occupying the news for the team recently has been Carey Price, obviously, and his decision to take time away to focus on himself, entering the, the NHL's player assistance program. Obviously, speculating on as to why Price made this decision is just, in my opinion, completely out of line, and sometimes just just seems his time to focus on himself, but. Mm-hmm. And in mind, uh, how do you think the Canes will fare next season with Price, with Price out for the foreseeable future? How do you think Mont and Allen will work together? Um, it, yeah. uh, I mean, it's yeah, we're all grunt, we all, we've all been grunting the last, you know. Uh, yeah, 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 I mean, you can't you, you can't gather too much from preseason play, but it is clear that Montreal is. It, you don't have Shea Weber either, and that sucks, and goaltending will sink your team if it's not very good. You know, I don't mind Jake Allen. He has played a lot of NHL games. And maybe if you get, you know, look, if you get league average goaltending, you can win the Stanley Cup. Like it's possible. It's not impossible. But if you don't have league average goaltending and it's poor, you're not going to win. It's just not going to happen. I look at Montreal's roster up and down. I remember back to how they played in the playoffs a lot of the success in the playoffs, I think, can be traced to Carey Price to a certain extent. But at the same time, the way that that team plays, if they get rolling, they can really roll. You know, I love guys like Josh Anderson, for example, on that team. Cole Caulfield with a full season, you know, if he pops off for, say, 30 goals this year, even if it's on the power play and it makes Montreal's power play a little bit more lethal, then that's a win. Um, I still question sort of the depth of the team. I question how much people are sort of underrating the lost value in Jesperi Kotkaniemi. And I like Christian Dvorak, but it seems like a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans were happy to kick him in the butt on the way out the door. And I'm not so sure that that's such a great idea, especially considering how promising he has been in his career. Um, But I get it that in that specific situation, yeah, he probably would sign that contract. And yeah, you probably don't match it if you're the Montreal Canadiens. It just, it's a, it just sucks. Um, so I get the feeling that they're going to, it's not, a, I'm not saying they won't be a playoff team though. I won't say that. I think that, you know, they might be a team there that pushes to make the playoffs and, and gets in just by maybe Jake Allen stealing a game here and there, if that's possible. But I also look at a team like, in their division, like say the uh, Florida Panthers or the, 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 you know, you look at Toronto, Tampa and Florida, that's a tough three to get over. And then you've also got Boston and Boston. I feel like Boston and Montreal are in a similar spot where there's a lot of question marks, the depth of the team, you can kind of shake your head out a little bit, but you don't discount them because of what Montreal did last year and what Boston does historically, you know, and, and even the Ottawa senators, like everybody laughs at the Ottawa senators, but I would not count them out either. If, especially again, if they get league average goaltending and their young guys step up, then maybe there's something there, but Montreal might push for the playoffs, I would think, especially if they can get past, say, the Boston Bruins this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, losing Carey Price, uh, obviously his personal life comes first. And I think a lot of people forget that these people are human beings with human problems sometimes. Um, but that's, it's going to be an interesting year for Montreal, I think. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. 
to say that uh, if I was, well, I'm talking to these agents, they offered me $6.1 million. I'd definitely take that money. So, yep, yep, I'd say so too. <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, yeah. And then to shift our focus back towards the draft class, like we, I think everyone on this panel just hated the first round pick, but in terms of the Habs' other picks in that draft, um, a lot of them were a little bit, I guess, head scratching to me at least at the draft. Like, Riley Kidney would be a name that I wasn't expecting at the end of the second round, mm-hmm. but he's also started the new season absolutely on fire, getting, I think, five goals and nine points in his first five games. And I guess, I, wait, what, who would be some players that, that the Habs drafted in the last draft that, that you love, and who would be some that you might be a bit more lukewarm on? Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see how their draft class shakes out. I've got it pulled up here. They took some shots in the dark, right? Like Daniil Sobolev and Joe Verbedek, they didn't play last year. And Joe Verbedek was at times a top 100 prospect to some people had the OHL played last year. I think North Bay being so horrible that one year uh, did not help. Um, but in the seventh round, and he, you know, you have a six foot six goaltender who's as well regarded as Joe Verbedek. You get a couple of years, you see what happens, and if you fail, it's a seventh-round pick. Who cares? But if you get your goalie then, they, they, Caden Primo was a guy who didn't have great save percentages before being drafted, and now he's turned into a pretty interesting goaltending prospect. So maybe you get the same kind of luck out of Verbetic. But, uh, I mean, again, similar to Harvey Pennard, I was really happy to see Xavier Sibano get a draft pick. I may not have picked him, but I'm glad he said someone just said, ah, screw it, let's see what happens. Um, I was not a fan of Josh Waugh. Not really a fan of William Trudeau. I wanted to like Dmitry Kostenko so bad. I really, really wanted to. I've seen him. I've been watching him play for two seasons now uh, at the pro level. Or no, he played the junior level the year before last and then the pro level this past year in, in Russia. And I mean, he's a guy who's got some skill and length. You know, I don't really like his skating ability right now. He's a big guy who's not very physical. Like to me, that seems like the Montreal Canadiens are kind of betting on skill with him and you know his data that I tracked was pretty bad um, but you could still see a little bit of a skilled offensive defenseman there out of Kostenko and maybe they think they have like a miniature Norlinder kind of pick there in the third round just like maybe you can turn him into that type of a player in the in the future but I've never been super enthralled with like his actual game as a full-on package deal but the top Two guys, the two guys they took in the second round, like Oliver Kapanen is a really interesting one. He's nothing like his cousin, uh, Kasperi, um, nothing like him at all. In fact, it's almost like the polar opposite where, uh, where Kasperi Kapanen has all the talent in the world to do pretty much whatever he wants in the NHL. He's not the smartest player, not the most responsible offensive player with the puck. He kind of plays individually and doesn't really have that top tier NHL game yet, but you can see that he might maybe get there but Oliver is just super smart and super crafty and super clever um in the late second round I thought that was a really interesting pickup maybe a little bit higher than I would have thought but I don't really care at that range of the draft there might have been some names that I would have wanted over him but you know if you're betting on his intelligence and how responsible he is with the puck he put up really good numbers in the data that I tracked at the finished junior level um but I and I like him quite a bit but again the thing that'll hold him back is that the talent level for him is not quite that, you know, NHL caliber just yet as much as a lot of other guys in that range. Um, The skating needs work. The skill level is crafty and slippery, but not necessarily super high level follow, you know, 
problem solving, getting through layers. It's just not quite there yet, but he's very, 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 very smart. So maybe there's something that Montreal can leverage there once he builds on those fundamentals. Riley Kidney, he's, you know, I have no problem with thinking that he's going to score a lot of points in junior. I didn't really come away. It was similar to Antonin Vero for me so far, like a very similar style player where you can absolutely see the skill and the evasion and the ability to produce at the junior level. But I wonder if it's quite enough. Like I was always more drawn as an NHL prospect to his teammate. Um, oh man. Now his name is slipping my mind. Calgary. Took Cole Hawkins. Yes. Cole Hawkins, who is bigger. I think he covers ice a little bit better in open ice than Riley kidney. Not as skilled, not as fun to watch, but he's physical at both ends and, you know, might be a third line center, you know, maybe down the road for your team. I felt that his data that he produced was pretty good. He had some games that were really, really good in, in uh, Acadie Bathurst. So I, I like Riley Kidney. I, he should have gotten picked, but he wasn't on my list because I just feel that he's going to score a lot of points in junior and then maybe struggle to, to transition to pro hockey um, because the pace of his game isn't super high. He focuses kind of on winning one-on-one battles and playing with the puck himself. Um, whereas a guy like Cole Hawkins, I feel even for, a, especially for the Montreal Canadians, I felt was a bit more of a better fit with kind of that size and physical intensity that they kind of seem to look for, but also that side of actually being able to play hockey that Montreal can also identify in those big skilled players. So um I thought that they could have done better, but I also will not doubt Trevor Timmons because I've done so in the past and it's been a mistake. So we'll see what happens. They've got some interesting value um, and they definitely may have picked up some interesting players and guys like Verbetic and Simono, uh, but kind of a mixed bag for me so far, especially relative to previous draft classes uh, that Montreal has, has had. Well, we're going to end this on a high note. Hi, note. <laughs> We're going to throw the prospect book out the window. Mm-hmm. We're going to burn everything. We're going to take out our little crystal ball instead. Let's look at the upcoming NHL season and tell me who's going to win the who's going to win the cup, who's going to win the hearts, who's going to be the, the top scorer, who's just give us your hot takes. Let's end, let's end this with some bold predictions, my friend. Go ahead. Uh Okay. Um, <laughs> Putting you on the spot, I know. <laughs> that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. I think this year there's there's been a lot of player movement over the summer. Um, I mean, for I, I, another season of Connor McDavid, I, Connor McDavid is probably my favorite hockey player to watch of my entire life. I don't think I ever mm. have seen a player as exciting. Like if the NHL were a league that were, uh, you know, consistently like he he's a guy who should be dominant i think and 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 whenever he steps on the ice he's extremely dangerous and i haven't seen any players in this league that in my opinion are as dangerous literally every time they step on the ice you know when the puck is in the offense no yeah when the puck is in the offensive zone i might be more interested in an austin matthews maybe but in terms of a 200 foot all situations like coach pats you on the back and puts you out for 60 minutes in a night I'm taking Connor McDavid in a schoolyard pick rather than an Austin Matthews. But I think, you know, they're, they're again, it's two different types of super elite players. So I get the feeling that another, another year of Connor McDavid, he could be that heart trophy winner again. Like, I don't know who else, you know, Sidney Crosby is not, he's still a very good hockey player and still one of the best in the league, but he's not 28 year old Sidney Crosby quite as much anymore. Um, Alex Ovechkin, he scores goals, but I don't, I think that the days of him being that perennial 
top three talent in the league are kind of waning a little bit. Yeah, and I think um, we could agree that in Ovechkin's case, he's just aiming for Gretzky's goal record in that. It's po- it's entirely possible. Mentally, yeah. that's where he's at. I'm sure he wants to win Stanley Cups too. That would help. But yeah. uh, but I, I get the feeling that for all those sort of best player in the league awards like Connor mcdavid should be the favorite and i would be very surprised if it was anything but um maybe nikita kucherov but i get the feeling that mm. Sydney, or, uh, that uh, Connor mcdavid's the guy in terms of nhl teams um well full disclosure will before before you take your pick yes. anthony, anthony demarco who's our nhl um analyst predicted the, the new york islanders are going all the way this year that you know never count him out and yeah. one one thing that I'll be very interested in is a lot of people are looking at, say, Cole Caulfield for that, that Calder Trophy favorite spot. Mm-hmm. I would be very curious to see how Spencer Knight plays in Florida. I, I know that, like, a goalie can win the Calder. It has happened before. And he has been very good in the NHL when he has played. And if you get a hot rookie goaltender who can really start stringing wins together, maybe there's your Calder Trophy winner, even if Cole Caulfield scores 30 goals. I get the feeling that voters are going to look at the guy who's taking a good team into the playoffs, like Florida, with Joel Quenville as his coach, might sway some voters to go with the goalie that maybe has that 920 save percentage and a two point whatever goals against average or whatever, and has Isn't a great the ten million dollar uh, yeah with a ten million dollar backup him, yeah, yeah of the course ten little wall in front of him <laughs> yeah but you know what I mean he got into games last year and 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 I don't think Joel Quenville's going to play Sergei Bobrovsky if he's bad just because he makes ten million dollars I think that mm. I think that Spencer Knight if he wins if he plays the plays well he'll he'll win that job fun fact 2009 was the last time a goaltender won the calder and steve mason with the well, columbus that, blue jackets that's uh, the other side of it <laughs> yeah andrew rakoff in 04 with boston evgeny nabokov with san jose in 2001 and then we're going yep. all the way back to 94 with a certain uh new jersey devils goaltender who had i guess an okay career uh, martin brodeur i don't know if you ever heard of him, oh but, yeah. do, do you never go on twitter martin brodeur sucks <laughs> I thought everybody knew that now that he's the worst goaltender to ever win the Stanley Cup. I thought that's what we were talking about now. Of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so maybe winning the Calder as a rookie goaltender is a death sentence, but you know what? Uh whatever. Who cares? Spencer exactly, Knight's been pretty exactly. good. Exactly. We're throwing caution um, to the win. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Like winning the Stanley Cup. Um I know it's early, man, but yeah. I mean, this, this is the fun, this is the fun part about being a fan. Like don't don't think analysis. Don't think about like just erase your memory. And just look at it from the outside, being like, you know what? Yeah, these guys have a shot. You know, I I still will think that the Colorado Avalanche. You gotta hope that the Avalanche oh, every single year yeah. they get their hearts broken. They they They're go actually back and my go, pick as well. We yeah. gotta get we gotta get there. Like you yeah, you hope that too. you hope that every single team after they lose in the Stanley Cup playoffs they go what went wrong? How can we get better? And how do we avoid this in the future? Like they got beat last year. Even when they were trying to play physical, it just, it just, I don't know what happened. I watched a lot of that series and it just was, I think it was way closer than, than the actual wins indicated. Um, and it just, I think it was just that the cards didn't come out for the way, the way they expected. And if the Colorado Avalanche had played the Montreal Canadiens instead, I feel like things might have gone a little bit differently. Um, but either way, uh, they would probably be one in the West that I've really liked. And in the East, uh, I like the Islanders idea. Um, but, oh man, <laughs> I mean, I might be a homer, but like the, the, the I, I, you have to think that the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to do something. 
I don't know if they're going to make it to the cup final, but I look at that team as they're constructed, how they've played so far in the preseason, frankly, how they played in the playoffs until they got flicked by the Montreal Canadians and then panicked. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 it was like, we, you are all Montreal Canadians fans. Like you were there. Yep. You were 12 hours away from firing Mark Bergevin, from firing mm-hmm. Dominic Ducharme, from trading every guy <laughs> off the team. Leaning house. Yeah. For the embarrassment <laughs> yeah. of, of getting your ass kicked by the Montreal, by the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> I get the feeling that the Toronto Maple Leafs just, it's like, it's like they're a guy who scored 50 goals in the NHL one year. And then they come back and they, they go on a, a three week streak where they don't score. And that just haunts them for the rest of their career. It's like, it, all you need to do is just get that thing, get it, just do it once. And, and hopefully you learn that you can do it, but I don't know. They're also the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'm not going to say anything. So we'll say the Florida Panthers and move on. So Florida, Colorado, give it to me in the Stanley cup final. Give me the Spencer Knight cam Ward performance uh, and, and give Nathan McKinnon the Stanley cup. <laughs> yep that's pretty much the consensus here as well will thank you so much for your, your very generous time this has been a really awesome conversation oh anytime. i know you're i know you're very uh, active on social media i guess i think twitter is the best way for people to uh, to follow you yep twitter and youtube those are the easiest ways to do it twitter and youtube i'm going to be posting the links on our on our website on uh, puckandroll.com well hopefully we'll do this another time my friend thank you so much absolutely thank you very much boys The Prospect Heroes, Scott and Sebastian on Puck and Roll. And once again, a huge thank you to uh, Will Scouch for, oh man, that was a great interview, guys. I mean, I don't know about you, but I had a blast doing that. I mean, this, this is one very, very knowledgeable character. and uh, It was great. Yeah, it was really cool. And uh, thank you to Scott Cowan as well, who uh, who had to leave, unfortunately, for the rest of the show, but uh, give us some great, uh, great questions as well, and also for his contribution on this week's Habs Blitz. But now at this time, we are talking about prospects because that's the title of the segment, Prospect Heroes. I will be uh, growing about uh, five inches and reach Scott's height and taking his place, <laughs> so to speak. But we're going to send it over to Josh. Uh, Mr. Rosa, you were attending a Kitchener Rangers game uh, on Friday, and you had the chance to speak with, I we're going to call him a Habs prospect, but he's definitely signed with the Habs as well, the incredible Rocky story of one Arbor Jackai. So first, let's listen to this interview and then I want to hear your thoughts on um, on this experience. Yeah. So just tell me, uh, how's it going? It's going good, man. Like a lot of things are, a lot of things happened for me in the past uh, week. So it's been very exciting. It's been very overwhelming, and everyone's been really good with the with the appreciation about me. So. Yeah, it's hard to be feeling bad when you just got a contract. Yeah, the there's, there's no there's no feeling bad about that. Yeah. yeah. So this year in the OHL, it's obviously the weirdest year. There's basically two rookie groups coming in. You're one of the older guys. You've been to the NHL camp. Are you looking to take on like a leadership role in the room there for some of the younger guys? Yeah, I definitely put that upon myself to become a, become a leader in the room. And I think a lot of guys respect me in that way. And even before like the contract, like I just had, I just had that respect from the young guys and. Like I'm definitely going to take that, take a big role in the, in the leadership group this year. 
Yeah, so obviously you were undrafted in the OHL. I am undrafted in the NHL. Gets the feeling that you're always trying to improve yourself. Is there aspects of the game that you're trying to work on this year to get better and better? Yeah, definitely. Like playing those two NHL games, it was. It's definitely an, a, an awakening to see how much attention to detail like you need to have there. Like I'm obviously a bigger guy and can handle myself in that aspect, but it's just it's just building my the attention to detail side of the game and knowing where guys are and always like reading what, what hand they shoot and which way they're coming down and all, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, how good does it feel to be back playing meaningful regular season hockey after so long? Yeah, we were all sitting in the room and we were like, this game, like, it's it's worth two points. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's been so long and we're just all excited and it means a lot. Well, I'll let you get ready for everything. Thank you so much for talking. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot, man. All right, Josh. So, man, that was incredible. I mean, he sounds like a very articulate young man to begin with. And I was really, really surprised to hear uh, that he he's taking it upon himself to become a leader. Um, and uh, that was man, like, like for someone to to have this kind of story and being like, yep, I want to take on a leadership role. I want to lead these boys is, is nothing short of incredible. So but first, Josh, tell us your impressions about meeting him face to face. Yeah, it was quite the surreal experience as someone that hasn't done <laughs> much of this before in my life. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, awesome to talk to someone that just, he was, just was with Montreal like not even a week ago. And then he's back here and I go him with my little, my little recorder that I bought at Staples. And he was awesome, fantastic. Everyone there was great. And he's very great to talk to down to earth very uh very purposeful i think with how he speaks and how he presents himself because there was aspects of that interview talking about the leadership and also when i watched him play later that reminded me of a certain leader on the montreal canadians and i know that there's another prospect that gets that gets uh compared with but I think he's a very Shea Weber-esque type player watching him on the ice like he wants to be a leader he's quite the physical presence out there you don't have to look for him he's a big guy and he plays a lot like Weber I feel with his stick and his shooting he likes to give those extra taps he likes to play very physical and be really he seems like the type of guy that would be really hard to play against, especially in a playoff situation where he can really let loose and play physical and kind of dominate the front of the net using his size and his stick. He could be, and he's very composed in his own end. I noticed whatever his partner who was Roman Schmidt in that game, I believe he's a Washington prospect. Whenever he had the puck, Jack I was always in the perfect position to give him an outlet, an easy pass across the ice to help him out of trouble. And he was always there. He always received the puck and was willing to play with it on his stick and go up the ice, which was very smart for a guy in the uh, OHL like that. And it's going to be interesting to watch him develop over this year. You also had a chance to stick around and watch the, uh, the Rangers and the Storm go head-to-head. So maybe give us a quick recap of how of how that game went because I heard it was quite the barn burner, my friend. Yeah, that was wild. Part of the real thing. It was <laughs> two nothing at the end of the first period. The second goal was 
fantastic from uh, Francesco Pinelli, who's, who has had a great game, I felt. And then less than two minutes into the second, it's suddenly three to two for Kitchener, uh, which three goals in less than two minutes, two from the same player, Matthew Poitra on the Guelph Storm. And then the Storms tie a 3-3, and Kitchener scores 30 seconds later to make it 4-3. The game ends up ends up 5-5, and in the last minute and a half, two of the best defensive prospects on both teams, Roman Schmidt and Daniel Chayka, who is a prospect for the Golden Knights, both take penalties. So the the end of the game, the overtime turned into four on three, then four on four, then three on three, in which Francesco <laughs> Pinelli had a blocked pass at the Guelph Storm defender, shoved his own goalie in the net, and he and it ended up ending the game that way. There were a full of great goals, and then it ended on that. Kind like what of. a way, what a note, you know, like to, to, to end it on yeah. because that's just it's just back and forth more than a seesaw for grandma. That was amazing. Yeah, it was quite the game. Uh <laughs> it, there was lots of standouts offensively, obviously. Pinelli is just incredible. He'll just make plays, he'll just pass it straight across the goal mouth, and you're like, okay, he just made a pass. And it looks so easy, but then you realize, oh, he just passed it through like three defender sticks and he made it look like nothing and he got it right on the tape and he was incredible. And all the Guelph Storms, the third line with two rookies, Carabella and Poitra and the older Braden Bowman, they combined for four of Guelph Storms' five goals, including Poitra, who scored less than a, two goals in less than a minute and both are pretty nice goals so the disappointing thing there wasn't much from Guelph's top line unfortunately which was interesting because they have Sasha Pastorjov I think I'm pronouncing that correctly the Anaheim Ducks pick who had a big game Patrick next game but this game unfortunately they were a bit invisible on the ice you know who else was amazing on that in that game? It was Joshua Rosa. I mean, this is a guy who came into this show with zero knowledge of the juniors. Literally said, like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I'm just going to give this a shot. And there you are, interviewing Montreal Canadiens players and reviewing the Rangers and the Storm as if you'd done this your entire life. My friend, I, I, my, I tip my hat to you. Like, you're, you're doing an amazing job with that. But, man, it's pretty cool. On that note, we're going to flip it to Mr. Sebastian High. Sebastian, um, I took a little road trip on Saturday. <laughs> that you did. <laughs> it did. It did. Took the car from Montreal, went all the way down to Ottawa to pick you up, and then we trekked down to Gatineau. We watched the uh, the Olympic de Gatineau taking on les Foreurs de Val d'Or. Man, what an experience that was! I mean, let's that was something else. Let's start with the arena. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It really is. And it's so modern, got, I- so sleek. And I got to say, just sitting in a press box 
with an unobstructed view, like the first row of the press box, yeah. uh, a press box that wasn't even like it was like a like it's un- it's unidentified. Like, like there's no even like sign on the door saying it's the press box. Like yeah, he went around the entire arena trying <laughs> to find it, and it was like, oh, it's probably the one door without the sign, and it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it really was an experience. And oh yeah, I mean I mean for, for those who for those who aren't in the know, I mean the um, uh, the Centre Slush Puppies that it's called is uh great name it? isn't it Pat? Yeah, you love it amazing <laughs> name bark bark <laughs> so we, we were t- when we went around the arena we visited it was like yeah it's just top-notch facilities and i've done a, a bunch of minor league um facilities as well and i mean this is this is almost nhl caliber when it when it comes to the lo- it's the gorgeous luxury, the professionalism of the staff as well uh the courtesy that everyone gives each other was really really great i mean i'm not knocking any other teams i mean it is what it is but because like this is brand spanking new you know but on that on that front it was really cool um i mean we admittedly because this is a new show it's, an, it's a new experience of course you know we ran into some people that we didn't expect to run into um mm-hmm. One of the one of them, I'm just gonna say it out loud because I mean, you know, why not? Uh, we walk into the we walk into the the box, and the first person we went face to face with was Trevor Timmons, uh, system mm-hmm. of, the, of the Canadians. I'm not gonna say what happened, Sebastian. Don't worry. Oh, I, I, I'll say. It. Oh, I, was wearing say it? Okay. I, I, I was wearing my Habs hat with pride, and I got a <laughs> bit of a weird look considering who walks into a very professional environment like a media box wearing a hat of an NHL team. Like, like no one would do that. It's just like, I wasn't expecting it to be that professional. We were both underdressed. Yeah. Um, at we least were, I had, a, the worst place I, I, had, we were I had very dressed well dressed. Least. Yeah. We were both very well dressed, but unfortunately it was just like, everyone, well, we weren't in a, in like a suit, suit and tie. Suit and tie yeah. almost. And yeah. everyone else was. Um, yeah. And yeah, that, that was, that was something else. <laughs> and like around, all around us were a bunch of like other NHL scouts from different American teams looking at specific yeah. players in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, also NHL central scouting was there. There was QMJHL, um, like, and like analytics guy was there. Like we felt a little bit out of our depths just by like who we were surrounded by in the press box yeah. but it was amazing also yeah. we, we got we got a play-by-play right behind us for the entire game i was, I was, was gonna say as well we have it we have the uh, the gentleman from kojiko radio doing the play-by-play right behind us so you literally have play-by-play and the and this your, your tv screen was just a live show in front of you and, and what was the best seats in the house and everything and i know and i know as sebastian you were saying yeah we felt a little bit out of our depth maybe for the well, first okay. 30 seconds but well, like what i and, meant by that was more just like if you look at like Everyone else around us. Yeah, it was just an us, but yeah. it was it was great. Like I'm, I'm so happy that that we got to go. But yes. yeah, <laughs> it was but something else. There's a puck and roll is going up in the world, and we're hanging out with NHL scouts. So that's uh, it was it was a very amazing experience. The game was a good experience too. It was. It really was. <laughs> like uh, we had two. Uh, the first two periods was just all out Gatineau, dominating like crazy. They just, I, 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 my man, like the. We, 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 I, I haven't had a chance to pull up numbers, but I, I, they must have spent three quarters of the first two periods in the offensive zone, just circling around. They were How, dominant. However, they just couldn't like put it away because in the end, I mean, Sebastian, give us uh, give us your review on the on the on the on the on the last period and how things happened. Yeah, like, like like in the first periods, like Gatineau was just dominant. Still, in the entire game, Gatineau was shut out at five on five. Like, like they only scored on the power play. Uh, but it was 
just bad luck, basically. Like, like they were doing everything you could hope for in those first two periods. And then uh, there was the, the weirdest lob shot at the end of the second period from Valdor. Like, it, like it, you actually watch, like, the highlights of the game. And, like, Patrick, you saw the lob, like, live. I, I didn't notice it was lob. I thought it was just a very weak shot. But it's a, it's a literal, like, it has, has an actual arch to it, right? Yeah. And just lands in the top corner. And it goes in because of all the traffic. And it, it was just like the flukiest goal. And <laughs> Vidal got all the momentum from that. And then they, they they score a goal right at the beginning of the third period. And they score another one on the power play. And yeah, and then in the end... Um, but how about, how, about that moment- it. how about that momentum shift, though, after the second... Um... After the third goal, sorry from from Valdal because the exactly. there was that little garbage goal that you know tied it up and everything at the at the, the beginning of the period on the power play and then um, a little controversial it was, goal. There was it was, it was, con- it was controversial. The 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 three two goal was controversial because yeah. okay I'll just I'll just say this uh, we watched uh, Isaac Belivo the entire game and were not very impressed by his play. He had a rough, um, he had a rough game. Yeah. He, he had a very rough game. Uh, but he had a really good play on that goal for Vidal. He yeah. intercepted a puck that was probably going to end up being a goal. Um, and then he was tripped up. And by number 15 for Vidal, I'm forgetting his name just this moment, but he was tripped up. And then five seconds later, 15 scores. And yeah. it just, like, like the entire crowd was, was booing. Uh I wasn't quite sure what, what the booing was for because I was I had my eye on uh, just Biddy Vu himself. I, I just saw him fall. I didn't know that he was tripped. But um, yeah, that, 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 that was really painful. But the really promising thing was that Gatineau really won back a lot of momentum after that. And um, then on the, the game tying goal, what, a, a player stood out once again that we loved the entire game, Patrick, as we were talking about with Will Scouch, and that was Noah Warren, who is this big hulking defensive defenseman who killed so many plays, like just like completely unrivaled in that to game. Assist to that, that game, yeah. Exactly. But the thing is, like, like, I was expecting him to be good, very good defensively, and he was. But the shocking thing was that his two two assists. Both on the power play, yep. both primary assists. Yep. One of them, the first of those, was a brilliant pass when he was very quite quite visibly itching to shoot the puck, mm-hmm. but he had the presence of mind to pass it uh, like to a teammate right in the lower slot and easy goal. Uh, and then the second one was just him going for a rebound, so he shot off the pad of the goalie, mm-hmm. shot out to another player that I loved in the game in Olivier Boutin, who uh, was. Uh, he's, he's 18 years old. He went undrafted last year, and I thought he played exceptionally defensively. He was he's one of Gatineau's main like uh, penalty kill players. Agreed. And like he, he's a type, the kind of player that I would love to just like draft with like a sixth round or seventh round flyer of just solid player looks good defensively in the queue, which stands out. And why not? And he got that goal as a reward for his good play. Yeah, and my my uh, my pick for the the star of the night my, myself was was also Noah Warren because oh my goodness like he just plays such a solid game and this is the second time that I saw him play, uh, the first time was in the, in the Blainville season opener and he's so consistent exactly the same thing he was just like he's so responsible on the defensive end he looks at, he protects his lane so well 
He's surprisingly quick for a man his size as well. You know, like he's got good mobility. Um, and then the uh, very smart, very, very, very intelligent very player. And that um, the assist on the first power play goal was so underrated uh, because, you know, he he positioned himself right in the middle of the slot, got the pass. And instead of just immediately blindly and blindly shooting, he literally just put his head up, saw the saw the guy coming in, made the perfect pass, tipped it in. And that was just absolutely beautiful. And also to um, to answer the, the 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 question number fifteen that we're talking about, who had the controversial goal, well, no, the, the penalty as well, was Alexander Mirzabaliev, uh, who uh, also ended up scoring the um, shootout uh, winner. Shootout winner, much to the, display, the crowd too, much to the dismay of the Gatineau mm-hmm. crowd. So, but he yeah, was it, not, he was not beloved in that arena. No, no, no. So um, just like Josh, we also had quite the uh, quite the event. Um, for, for this game and uh sebastian and then the following day you ended up attending an ottawa 67s game so maybe give us a quick recap of your experience there yeah i, I did and um sadly i had to fork up fork out some money to to go we did not get a media pass for them just yet yes. but it, it was it was really fun and uh like i i was sitting next to uh other people that were like they, they noticed that i was there with like a notebook and stuff and they're like are you with like Dabra Prospects, Elite Prospects? I'm like, no, just just doing this for fun. We've got the podcast. Um, but yeah, you should have said, was... yes, I'm with Puck and Roll, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Dabra Prospects, again, they're being paid. But yeah, like, they're... apart from that. Shout, um, out, shout out to all the crew out of the Dabra Prospects. You guys are pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, there's so many good um, like scouting networks out there that are just doing amazing work. But that game was really interesting in that, um the 67s are a team that i was very much expecting to be terrible uh considering that they were really screwed over um by covid considering i I believe they had a 52 and 10 record when covid hit they were dominant they had marco rossi jack quinn a couple of, of older players that were really good like austin keating comes to mind but now with covid it's a complete rebuild because they lost all their star players and they haven't got good draft picks to replace them yet. Yeah, exactly. At the same time, they won the game. They won the game 3-2 against the King- the Kingston Frontenacs and Shane Wright. Uh, the like the night before or two nights earlier, they lost against uh, the Frontenacs 8-1. So I was not expecting a 67's victory, but it was n- nice also that like their first home game in 18 months was a win. So it was yeah. a nice storyline there. But uh, it was a really interesting game. And some players stood out that um, maybe I wasn't expecting to. Like, obviously, the, like, I went to watch Shane Wright. Like, that was, that was the big incentive of going to the game, was just to see what Shane Wright can do against one of the OHL's weaker teams. And he got, he got a goal. He, he, he scored the Frontenac's first goal uh, of the game, the first period. And I liked the fact that it was not the typical goal that you'd expect from a sniper. Um, he, he was positioned right in the lower slot in front of the goalie and uh, the puck came to him. He whacks at it. It's saved. Then while falling down, he whacks at it again and gets in. Right. But like, it was a very gritty goal for yeah, a star yeah. player. Um, but it also was indicative of his very strange usage by the Kingston coaching staff. Like, um, they, they use him, they, they used him as a screen a lot and he's not a very big guy. So why are you wasting your star player to tip pucks in front of the net? I don't know. Um, 
then but remember the, Sebastian the best- remember Sebastian we were having that conversation on Saturday you know that that we every time we watch um a game a junior hockey game you're going to see a lot of experimentation right you got a sure. lot of, you got a lot of coaches you know asking players to do things they're not used to making not mm-hmm. just to see if the chemistry will work but also you know there's always scouts that, that, that are up, up there, there and they're maybe asking the team and being like, hey, can you get him to do this? Because we wanted to know if he's actually capable of doing it, right? At the same time, you don't really need to experiment when you have Shane Wright. Like, yeah, you just, true. you give him the puck <laughs> and you tell him to, like, just make just things go. happen. Just go. Yeah. Okay. So, like, also on, on the power play, instead of using him at the top of the left circle for his one-timer, because Shane Wright is a sniper. Like, like his shot is devastating. You want him to use the shot. So, on the power play, you should probably just put him there on the top of the left circle. Instead, they're playing him at the top of the right circle or like, shift him between there and screening the goalie. Um, and so it's kind of that Nick Suzuki spot that, that they used him in. But the issue was that it was so clear every time that they'd move the puck around as a power play just to get it to him right there so he could shoot, that the lane, the shooting lane is always blocked, right? Like the reason that yeah. Nick Suzuki can succeed from a spot is that he has other options, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas when Shane Wright got it, it was always so obvious that he was going to shoot that nothing happened. Um, but at the same time, Shane Wright played a very good defensive game. He was very effective in transition. Like he was pulling, he's, he's, he's a very gravitational kind of player where he, he draws everyone to himself because he's just a star player, but he had a lot of presence of mind to then get the puck to a teammate causing like a two-on-one or, or just an odd man rush of some sort. Uh, I thought he had, he had a good game, but he wasn't quite as electrifying as I expected. At the same time, it's the first game in 18 months, basically, for him. So it doesn't mean anything as of yet. No, exactly. And I, mean, I, and I, don't, th- I don't think one game is going to, or, or I, in this case, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's in the third game of the season. He's still ranked number one on the prospects oh, list, regardless. So. This is the thing. Like, I'm going to go watch him again later in the season and just see how it goes then. But... I mean, still, he, he still scored a goal. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, you know? through, through two games of the season, he, he has two goals and two assists. That's, mm-hmm. He's doing fine. But, um, like, there are two other players that I thought were, like, like that, that stood out quite a bit in that game. One of them uh, was a guy I'd never heard of, um, Quinton Burns. He is a six foot two left defenseman. Um, and I was watching him play, and Kingston defensive core as a whole wasn't playing very well. Uh, but Burns just had a lot of, I guess, spark in his game of offensive plays that, um, I guess, showed some fun potential. And his puck-carrying ability, I guess, not the most consistent in the world, but there were real flashes. So when I saw him play, I figured he's probably like a 19-year-old who um, just hasn't gotten drafted due to like inconsistency or whatever it is. Uh, but no, he's 16. He's a draft mine as a one player. And I thought he was Kingston's best defenseman of the night. So that stood to me quite a bit. He was a second round uh, draft pick in the OHL. So he's someone that I'll keep an eye on uh, just because I thought he was 19 when he's 16. Um, so that was fun. And I guess one 67 player that <laughs> everyone at that game noticed him. Like you can't watch that game and not notice him, especially if you were there in person. Because his impact on the game wasn't just on the ice, it was the persona. And I'm talking about uh, someone that I took note of a couple of weeks ago as a 67 player that I should keep track of, and that's Brady Stonehouse. This is a guy who 
at least in terms of his persona, is like ex- mirror image of Brady Kachuk. Like absolute pest. The mouth guard, same thing. Uh, just taunting constantly. Uh, always getting smacked around. He's smaller than Brady Kachuk. He's like 5'9". Um, but he was really fun to watch because he he just angered everyone constantly. He drew a penalty, I believe, and he got an assist and just an all-around very effective game for his role. So I don't know, maybe, maybe as a player draft, like, like someone who could target in the late rounds of the draft, just as like someone who could maybe in the future become like a fourth line grinder of just ain't like really pissing off the opposition. Yeah. That'll be a fun person to look out for, but like literally everyone around like high me, energy whenever, player, yeah. whenever he was on the ice, everyone's like 17 for auto. Who is this guy? And I was like, yeah, that's Brady Stonehouse. This guy's nuts. Um, but he, he's really fun. <laughs> it really is. Like yeah. he, he has to make the NHL with that name, like Brady Stonehouse. Also, oh, he, he, he shared, he, he shares a first name with Brady Kachuk. So there you go. There you pretty go. Much. On the yeah. same line, it'll be amazing. And um, okay, Sebastian, let's wrap things up with one last uh, quick uh, uh, take at the Habs prospects. Um, there's a couple of them that's been that's been lighting the leagues on fire. Who are they? Pretty much, yeah. So three QMJHL prospects for the Habs, all of whom were drafted in 2021. So you have heard uh, Will Scouch's comments on them. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make it known that this panel is a bit higher on Joshua Roy than, than he is. <laughs> uh, but again, that is a bit skewed by his rookie camp performances, which were crazy good. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Joshua Roy, Xavier Simonou, and Riley Kidney mm-hmm. are the, the three forwards that, that the Habs have in the QMJHL this season. Um, all of them have seven points in four games, which is a pretty funny co- coincidence. Um, so Raleigh Kidney, four goals, three assists. Joshua Roy, three goals, four assists. And Xavier Simonou, two goals, five assists. So it's a nice little like ladder, basically, in terms of, of goals, and they all have the same uh, amount of points. So they're all just doing really, really well to start the season. And it's just, I guess, not nice to see, considering that, um, I don't know, like, with, with Habs and drafting guys from the queue, it's always a bit uh, – there, there's more layers there than just drafting from any other junior league if you're drafting a player from the queue as the Montreal Canadiens. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, Kidney – There's always uh, an expectation that comes behind There, there really is. And, like, they're all, they're all tied for sixth in points in the league. And the player who has sole possession of first place in points in the league is a guy I've – really liked for the last two drafts and he's gone undrafted both times. Um, it's a defenseman and it's Miguel Turini. So we, we talked about him a little bit uh, after Patrick went to the Blainville game and 10 points in five games for defensemen. A bit crazy. Also 17 penalty minutes for an undersized defenseman is strange, but this is a guy that I've always liked his upside as a goal-scoring, undersized defenseman because it's such a rare combination. And if he, I mean, if he finishes the season anywhere near two points per game, he's getting drafted by someone just as a flyer in the late rounds because what defenseman does that? But going back to the Habs players, it's nice to it's just nice to see uh, they're like the players just doing well 
from the queue. And it'll be, it'll be interesting just to, to track their, not, not just their point tallies this season, but like their play off the puck. Because honestly, it's not an issue for Simonou, but for Joshua Roy and Raleigh Kidney, their skill level is never the question. It's everything apart from that. But yeah, it should be a really interesting season for these QMJHL players, perhaps. Yeah, we'll definitely see how the, uh, the, uh, the season uh, progresses. And uh, before anything, now this is normally the time where we're going to send it over to Joshua Rosa with his segment on this day in Habs history. But Josh, I'm going to uh, do a little, um, um, I guess, uh, prequel to your segment. And I'm going to be do a little on this day of my own, just, you know, for little giggles, be- just because we were talking earlier about the Kitchener Rangers. Um, and I'm going to say a happy birthday on this day, October 11th, 1931, James Stewart Hunter Morrison, better known as Jim Morrison, sharing the name of a famous singer, was born, who happened to be a defenseman who played for Boston, Toronto, Detroit, New York, and Pittsburgh, and also had a, a multiple uh, season career with the uh, Quebec Aces, but also known to be a brief coach for the Kitchener Rangers. There is your fun fact for you, sir. Now on to you with the better version of On This Day in Habs History. On This Day in Habs History. On this day, October 11th, the year of our Lord, 1952, the Montreal Canadiens beat the Detroit Red Wings 2-1. On the backs of goals from Elmer Lack, who was assisted by Bert Olmsted and Maurice Richard, and an unassisted per play goal by Billy Ray. Lack, Olmsted, and Richard are all Hall of Famers, but it's believed that Billy Ray was the first player to raise his arms above his head to celebrate a goal in 1947. It is also the very first televised game on CBC. It's only in French. Nine years later, the Canadians would name Jean Beliveau the captain after the Habs traded former captain Harvey to the New York Rangers. Harvey was a six-time Norris winner at the time and was just named captain a year ago, but it's theorized he was in for his role in creating the Players' Union. He was traded for Leapin' Lou Fontanato, who scored more points in a single season as a Ranger than he did in his three years as a Canadian. After the trade, Harvey would go on to win his seventh Norris Trophy while also serving as head coach for the Rangers. In 1979, the Montreal Canadiens would beat the Atlanta Flames 3-1 in what would be head coach Bernie Jeffron's 100th career win and would extend Montreal's unbeaten streak in season openers to 13-0-4, a new record. 1975 would see our old friend Guy Lafleur record a goal and assist as the Canadians beat the St. Louis Blues 7-2, the third game of the season. In the first game, the Canadians beat the LA Kings 9-0, with Lafleur scoring two goals and one assist. The second game... The Habs beat the Bruins 9-4 with Lafleur scoring two goals and one assist. That is nine points in the first games of the season 
and the first time anyone has ever managed that. And finally, on October 12, 1963, Mask and Jacques Plante returned to the forum for the first time and got absolutely hung out to dry as the Montreal Canadiens would take 59 shots on him and scored six times to win the game players do before they were putting their arms up in the air in the celebration would they just go up to each other and shake hands being like jolly good show jolly good play very good yeah i guess so i don't it's (laughs) It's so hard to imagine a goal without a proper celebration right gentlemen it's time for around the nhl with your friend of mine anthony demarco how's it going buddy good man uh kind of a recovering from the gorge that was uh thanksgiving dinner last night but as you are feeling probably as well a little bloated but happy to be there none <laughs> happy to be here nonetheless oh yeah definitely on a turkey hangover man and you know, <laughs> we're, gonna have, we're gonna make sandwiches for the next week as usual <laughs> yeah it's the best oh. part about it couple of news around the NHL that needs to be mentioned, but before we get into it, let me just um, do a quick review of um, some of the signatures and waiver claims that's happened in the last week. Uh, but before that, a trade happened between the uh, Florida Panthers and Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Oli Ulevi from, uh, goes to the Panthers in return for Noah Julson and Yuho Lamiko. So Julson getting another chance to uh, finally get his NHL career going after, you know, a, a barrage of injuries claimed by the Panthers and uh, he's off to the West coast. So good luck to him. A uh, couple of signatures to announce. Jimmy Vesey signed a one year, 800 K with the devils. Jack Johnson is continuing his career in Colorado for one year, 750 K James Neal got picked up by St. Louis at one year, 750 Frederick Gauthier got picked up by Jersey as well. at one year, 750 Tyler Ennis goes uh, to Ottawa one year and 900 K 
And uh, the two big signatures that uh, we're going to be talking about, Anthony, uh, Micah Zibanejad, eight times 8.5 with the Rangers and Sasha Barkov with the Panthers, a whopping eight-year, $10 million a year contract. Um, other other uh, transaction news as well. Nikita Gusev was released by the Maple Leafs from his PTO. Uh, but Josh Hosang as well, but he signed a deal with the Toronto Marlies of the AHL. Uh, Eric Gustafson, uh, as mentioned earlier, was released by the New York Islanders, but he signed immediately with the Chicago Blackhawks. And in waivers, Minnesota claim Red Pitlick from the from the Nashville Predators. Washington reclaim Janssen Fialbi from the Buffalo Sabres after losing him to the Sabres a couple of days ago. And um, Philadelphia claimed Patrick Brown from Vegas. You might want to give uh, an opinion on that if you'd like. Montreal claimed Adam Brooks uh, from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, so how about we start, start with the uh, Barkov and uh, Zibanejad signatures? I mean, I know you were you and a lot of people, myself included, are big fans of Sasha Barkov. And I mean, let's be honest, that that had to be done. And $10 million a year, especially in tax-free Florida, that's, that's, that's a great deal. Yeah, Sasha Barkov. I mean, you could make the case that he is the most complete player in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre Lebrun described him as that earlier this week when on one of his appearances on Overdrive on TSN 1050. And I think it really is a perfect description of the player And I mean, up until probably this time last year, most people would have described him as the most underrated player in the NHL. I think that title now goes to Sebastian Ajo down in Carolina. But Barkov, just an absolutely special player. I believe he was drafted second overall in 2013. Mm -hmm. And a selection that really turned some heads. Like you had Nathan McKinnon going first and everyone thought the number two was going to be Jonathan Drouet or Seth Jones. And they went, took a leap of faith, took the center in Sasha Barkov. And to be honest with you, aside from McDavid and Nathan McKinnon, you could make the case that Sasha Barkov is the best centerman in the NHL, including guys like Austin Matthews, Leon Dreisaitl, Jack Eichel, when healthy. But, you know, Barkov is a guy to me, the reigning Selkie Trophy winner. Spoiler alert, he is my pick to win the Hart Trophy this season. (laughs) Just an absolutely dominant player. I believe he's only 26 years old. So this contract's going to take him right through his prime. And $10 million for an undisputed elite center in the NHL, a guy who in my mind is arguably a top five center in the NHL. I mean, there is really nothing going wrong on this particular signing. No, absolutely not. And it's Sebastian and I were actually, we were talking about that this past weekend. We're talking about Barkov as someone, you know, you would pay like, he would be one of of the consensus number one center for any team in the NHL. And it's definitely someone you could, you could build a team around. Uh, He's so complete, you know, like he's, he's defensive, like his defensive game is incredible. You know, he won the Selkie last year. So like that he finally, like, after being in, I guess, Patrice Bergeron's shadow for so many years. But the difference is that this guy can score as well. This is a perennial 25, 30 goal scorer, you know, and it just makes everyone around him so much better. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, it's, it's weird though, at the same time to say, yeah, it's a great signature at $10 million a year. And um, maybe makes Kyle, look, makes Kyle Dubas look a little weak in his signatures, but you know, I'm not trying to start a war here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that, but that's the thing, right? Is like, I listen to a lot of Toronto 
sports radio and the narrative always is that as soon as a new player gets a big ticket contract in that let's say early to mid 20 year old age group people Mm -hmm. automatically start comparing it to Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and I mean Austin Matthews obviously was younger when he signed his contract he didn't get a bridge like Barkov did Mm -hmm. but I mean now you have Barkov locked in for 10 years at a million point six less than Austin Matthews. And I mean, it's, it kind of comes down to your preference of player, but you could make the case that Barkov is a better hockey player than Austin Matthews and vice versa. If you, mm-hmm. if you value goal scoring more, maybe like me, I would err a bit on the side of Austin Matthews just because of how elite he is. But when you take into consideration the price tag and cost certainty that Barkov comes with, as opposed to Matthews making 11.6 and you're going to walk him right to UFA status at the age Barkov is now, it really is a no-brainer to be like, okay, well, i rather Sasha Barkov. And then you take in the Mitch Marner into consideration. So, yeah, like you said, we're almost preconditioned now to whenever a big-time elite player in their quote-unquote prime gets a big-ticket contract, you automatically just jump to comparing and depending on which side of the fence you stand on, criticizing the work that Kyle Dubas has done with Toronto. Absolutely. How about Michael Zib- uh, Zibanejad? Eight years, 8.5 million, which in retrospect, yeah, he's a great player, but his eight years may be a little too long because that's going to get bring him to his age 36 season. And, you know, anybody who's going past the 32, 33-year-old mark, you normally see a decline, especially um, for a player that, you know, with Zibanejad's style. What do you think? Well, look, I think the Sean Couturier contract really set the stage for me because Zibanejad, you know, these guys are, I think, five months in age difference. Couturier being a little older, both drafted in the first round in 2011. Mm-hmm. And Couturier got eight by uh, 7.75, I believe, yep. which will walk him to six years as well. And, You know, we were just comparing Austin Matthews to Sasha Barkov, and it kind of depends on your preference of the player on which one you think is better. I think Zabanejad to Sean Couturier falls in that category as well, but more in the next tier of centermen in the NHL. Like, I think you can make the case that both of these guys fall somewhere in the 10 to 15 range among all centers in the NHL. So Couturier gets 7.75 million, and I think it kind of comes down to A, he gave the Flyers a little bit of a hometown discount. And B, he's not really an offensive stalwart. Like when Sean Couturier carries the puck over the blue line into the offensive zone, he's not really the type of player that strikes fear into opposing teams' defensive forwards. That would be more of Mika's advantage at his department. But if you're asking me what player would you rather have when you know trying to close out a game with a 2-1 to lead in the final five minutes of Game 7 – I'm probably going with Sean Couture. So I got to be consistent with what I said before with Matthews and Barkov that because I value offense a little bit more when it comes to top level centers in the NHL, I would probably err on the side of Mika Zibanejad. Mm. But, and that's why I think he got that, what is it? $800,000 more in salary over his average annual value. But at the same time, I think Couture kind of set the benchmark here and you could probably make the case Katori's a better sentiment too, but I guess I'll throw it to you. Where do you kind of come down with this personal preference? Well, I have to agree that uh, Couturier is, is a better sentiment, period. Um, I mean, if, if I had to choose between one or the other, Couturier would 
would would be my first center and let's say i'm gm of montreal right now and i had it and, and, and someone offered me both the bandage and couture so you have to pick one he's gonna and i'm taking couture all day every day um not only just because of the um the tangibles that Couturier brings over Zabanajad. There's the the overall, there's a, there's a physicality aspect of it. There's the the clutch plays as well. That Couturier, you know, Couturier just seems to be to have more presence as well. And I think there's the, there's the, the playoff experience as well. I mean, Zabanajad has had maybe, what, one uh, playoff, you know, I think back in 2017 or with the Rangers where they made it to the second round where he was like, he was really shining. But other than that, the handful of times where they showed up is just, I don't know. He doesn't strike, he never strikes me as um, a playoff performer as of yet, of course. But I mean, I understand that he only played me like, like, like 30 games or so in the playoffs. Whereas, you know, someone like, Couture, like Couturier has shown time and time again that he can actually carry the entire team on his back. So. On the topic of uh, of signatures, while we're while we're in we're in this, let's shift from players to coach. John Cooper signed a three year extension in Tampa Bay. I mean, that's just a duh type of signature, <laughs> of course. But I mean, um, John Cooper. The the one question I'm I'm going to ask, and I'm really curious to pick your brains about this: best coach in the league, or is he just lucky to have such a stacked team in his hands that he just seems just to know what to do with it? Um, I mean, I'm not going to say he's the best coach in the league. I really just reserve that title for Barry Trotz and I have for some time now. But that being said, I think John Cooper's a top three coach in the league. And it isn't just because the team is stacked. Because Mm -hmm. the thing is, and I think people often forget this, is he took the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Stanley Cup final in 2015. And they ultimately lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. And that team wasn't nearly the elite franchise that they were now. You know, Ben Bishop was the goaltender at that time. Victor Hedman wasn't the absolute best defenseman in the NHL. Braden Point wasn't even on the team. I believe Valtteri Filpula was playing second line center for them. So, I mean, that was a very different squad that we saw, what is it, six years ago now, than the team that just won back-to-back Stanley Cups. Now, that being said, am I going to sit here and deny that he has one of the best teams I've ever seen in my lifetime? Absolutely not. That definitely helps. But for him to stay as relevant as he has for the duration that he has speaks volumes to the type of guy that John Cooper is. And I know that especially in the analytical world that we all live in now and everyone runs to the spreadsheets and the courses and the expected goals for, there is a certain intangible aspect it takes to be a good coach. And that's what John Cooper screams to me is that he's a guy that players love to play for. And indicative of that is him being named as the head coach to team Canada for the upcoming winter Olympic games. So I I think that's well-deserved. And again, if I'm not mistaken, he's the longest tenured coach in the NHL. It's crazy to think about, and people don't really realize this, but the last guy to coach the Lightning was Guy Boucher. <laughs> Guy yeah. Boucher already yeah. went through another job in Ottawa. So, I mean, it's crazy the length of his tenure so far. I think we're coming up on 10 years, which is just so crazy to think about because in the modern-day NHL, if you make it past three, people think that you're a veteran in the game. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. But, I mean, uh, look – like I said, I'm not going to call him the best coach in the NHL just because I really believe Barry Trotz has earned that title. But at the same time, I don't think that he's only had as much success because of the roster he's been given. 
Speaking of tenure, another news that came out uh, was the uh, Seattle Kraken naming Mark Giordano as the franchise's first captain, uh, which, you know, I'll say, I, I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. That's another duh news. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's no question that Giordano, you know, he's won the Norris Trophy in 1819. The following year, he's won the Mark Macy Trophy for uh, outstanding leadership. He's, he's always been um, a great leader. But, but, I want to, I'd like to know, first of all, well, two things. Mark Giordano, what does he bring to the current Seattle Kraken squad as, as their first captain, and especially being a 38 year old defenseman? But at the same time, I'd like to know your opinion as to why did Calgary uh, expose him to um, the expansion draft? Was it literally just because it was $6.75 million less on their, on their, under a cap despite it being you know the fight the final year of the contract because you know if you you go around you know the media and say and you some fans and i've spoken to some people and they're like a lot of people were saying like yeah okay you know we we, we got rid of almost seven million dollars but you also it kind of kills the loyalty almost because like jordan spent his entire career in calgary so like what was one extra year retire as a flame versus you know finishing your career in seattle well, for one, I do think that the salary was a big part of it because they took that close to $7 million that they had with Margie Dano and they used that money to allocate it to bring in depth forwards, Blake Coleman on a big ticket contract at yeah. $4.9 million over six years. And then they acquired Tyler Pitlick from the Seattle Kraken. So they used that money to bolster their bottom six and I think Coleman even though he's suspended right now is going to get some reps in that top six maybe alongside Goudreau and Sean Monaghan but more so than that I think it just came down to a numbers game because you look at the players that they all have on that back end going back to last season Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev that formed a really good shutdown pair for them Chris Tanev in my mind is one of the most underrated defensemen in the NHL and you saw and you saw what happened with Quinn Hughes's game yeah. that he created without Chris Tanev. Exactly. And I think that's a, on a side note that the Tanev and Hughes situation is a really good microcosm of somehow analytics can be misleading yep. that you don't have that veteran presence there to stabilize and give the younger guy the confidence to play more loosely and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then you have a guy by the name of Ross Miss Anderson who is also emerging as a solid top four guy for the Calgary Flames, signed to a four-year contract at $4.55 million and only 24 years old. So I think they looked at it and they said, we have to protect the two 24-year-olds in Hannafin and Anderson. And we just brought in Chris Tanev, who is a right-shot defenseman, who really fit like a glove aside, beside Noah Hannafin. We're not going to break that up. And then you have another young guy by the name of Yuso Valamaki, who they're hoping can step into a top four role. They bring in Nikita Zadorov for a fraction of the price that they were paying Mark Giordano. So I think when everything really came together, it made sense both financially and from an on-ice roster perspective to move on from Giordano, which is tough to say, right? The guy's been the captain of the team since, I believe, 2013-14. The last guy to captain that squad was Jerome McGinley. So it kind of gives you an idea of how long Giordano has been the yep. face. And from a Seattle perspective, obviously he's, if I'm not mistaken, he's the only guy who they selected who was a captain on his former team. 
And he's going to probably come in, be a stabilizing force for a guy like maybe Jamie Oleksiak. I'm not quite sure how their defensive pairings are going to shake out. Even a younger player like Vince Dunn or Hayden Fleury. So, I mean, I really like Adam Larson too. He's going to fit like a glove there. He's wearing an A for the team. So it made sense for the Calgary Flames to move on from him. But at the same time, Seattle is really going to reap the rewards of having this, you know, bona fide leader kind of fall into their lap. Absolutely. And uh, to end this segment, I mean, obviously we've talked about this in length uh, throughout the show, but, you know, since we're doing uh, this a separate this segment together, I still would like to, to know your opinion on the whole Carey Price situation. Um, as you know, he's entered the uh, player assistance program. His wife made statements, you know, saying that, you know, yeah, the guy needs a break. He just needs a mental health break, so to speak. I just want to know what your take is on the whole thing. You know, it, it's kind of, um, I think it kind of brings us all back down to earth a little when we see what is a larger than life character, especially in Montreal, have to really take a step back for his own personal health. And in this case, his mental health and Carrie Price. I mean, it's hard to think of an athlete that has meant more to his franchise over the last half decade or so than Carrie Price, you know, as he goes, the Montreal Canadians go and, you know, from an on ice perspective, you say like, man, like the Canadians are essentially going to start their season without the three most important players that helped them get to the Stanley Cup final just a few months ago in Weber, Price, and Philip Dano. But from a human perspective, you really just have to tip your hat to the guy that he had the courage to put himself into the player assistant program. And whether that be for substance or just depression or whatever that may be, that really doesn't matter at this point. I think it is a good example set by a guy of Price's stature that kind of will hopefully trickle down to players down the, I guess, the umbrella of the NHL, that even if you're a third liner playing for the Arizona Coyotes, you too have the right to worry about your mental health first and worry about your your family first. Because at the end of the day, hockey is just a job. And people forget that, right? That this is Mm -hmm. just a job for them, whether you're a guy shoveling for the city of x city or driving a bus these that is what hockey is to these guys so i i truly believe that it's a good example set by Carey price and we all just hope that he comes back sooner rather than later because he is one of the players that the game is just a better place when he is playing at his best and i think that was on full display during the 2021 playoffs all right anthony final 60 seconds the season is about to start finally it's at our doorstep. We're going to start a brand new NHL season. Give us some hot takes. So hot takes. I think that Adam Pellick is going to win the Norris trophy this Whoa, season. Okay. I think that he has earned that right. I believe that the Winnipeg Jets are going to make a lot of noise this year. And I don't know if they'll get to the Stanley Cup final because they're going to have to go through the Colorado Avalanche. But I like the additions of Schmidt and Dylan on the back end. And you always have a good chance when you have Connor Hellebuck between the pipes. I think this is the year finally to piggyback off the Pellet take and the Trots opinion that the Islanders will win the Stanley Cup this year. <laughs> I like their additions with Zach Parise and uh, Zdeno Char from an intangibles perspective. And um, another thing is, is that I don't know if Kyle Dubas is the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs this time next year or the general, general manager. Manager. Yeah, at this time but- next year. Oh, I guess we will we'll have to see because obviously, oh man. It's another first round exits. <laughs> yeah. Heads, heads, know, are gonna, right? heads are going to roll. I'm probably not a hot take, but uh, Cole Caulfield for Calder. 
<laughs> you know, I think that the Calder Trophy mm. is going to run through Cole Caulfield, but I actually have more its cider winning it from the Detroit Red Wings. But oh. from an object- objectively speaking perspective, I think Cole Caulfield is kind of like a slam dunk to win at this point. Probably. Anthony, always a pleasure. We'll talk next week, my friend. Yeah, man. Can't wait to do this again. For sure. Take care. for the final segment of the night it's not going to be a light topic of course because like we said at the beginning of the show it's the openings it's the season opener excuse me and uh we will be uh talking about the uh, Montreal Canadiens of course and uh, the opening roster has been released and a uh, couple of interesting takes on it, nobly because of uh, injuries and whatnot. And, um, you know, some of the names that might pop out a little bit are guys like, well, there's Adam Brooks, who was claimed on waivers from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And thanks to them, we're uh, trending on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> the uh, There's also the um, addition of Ryan Paling, who made the opening uh, roster as well, I guess, because of injuries as well. Samuel Maltabo back in, in goalie. And, of course, uh, they're going to be riding on six defensemen, which is kind of risky, you know, hopefully for not an injury. But I guess, you know, you could, you could work the, uh, the up and down with the AHL easily because of Laval uh, being so close by. Now, uh, Josh, let's start, let's start with you. What are your takes on the um, opening roster? I mean, is there anything that stands out a little more than others? Any surprises, any disappointments? Or is this pretty much the, uh, the squad that we expected since last summer? Uh, there's some interesting things to be talked about on the uh, on the lower end of the forward corp. Uh, there's the guys that we always knew would be there, but there's some interesting names like Alex Belzil. I think he was he was not penned in for a role before in Montreal, and it's always nice to see him. He's an undrafted guy, 30 years old. He just made his NHL debut in the playoff bubble in Toronto a few years ago. And he's just, he's bounced around the AHL, but on the home in Laval the past little while. And he's, he's not going to put up any crazy points, but he's a solid energy guy for the fourth line. Of course, our old friend Ryan Paling is still here. He's, I don't think, going to be on the roster very much unless there's injuries because there just wasn't really very much to see of him in the in the preseason. I watched the 6-2 loss against Toronto, and he was pretty much invisible if you weren't looking for him. But most of the team had a bad game that night. Alexander Romanov had a pretty horrific night that night paired with Fairbrother. But other than that, I think we've known for a long time and the goalies, unfortunately, no carry price, but it is what it is. Yeah, I think that's the surprises, really. Let me read out the... um the lines that have been used at the last practice, the last couple of practices, actually. 
um, and what will likely be the opening night uh, lineup, barring any surprises. And Sebastian, I want you to jump in and tell me what you think about this, because I know there's going to be at least you're going to have you have something to say about the def- about the defensive <laughs> aspect as well. To Foley, Suzuki, Caulfield is already we everybody knew that was going to be the first line. Duane is being paired with Dvorak and Anderson. Armia on the left wing with Evans and Gallagher. Mathieu Perrault, Cédric Paquet, and Arturi Lekkonen on the right side on, on the fourth line. And then the defensive pairings are Sharat Saval, Romanov Petrie, Kulak, and Whiteman, along with Jake Allen and, of course, Samuel Montabu on defense. Um, I mean, um, I know you have a lot to say about Ben Sharat and Saval as a pair to begin with, so how about you just start with that? <laughs> Pain? Does that, does that describe it? Just painful to watch. We'll scout, um, we'll scout said it earlier, my friend. Life is pain. Life is pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he needs to trademark that because uh, it'll be used a lot this season, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I thing is, I, I think, I think both Sharat and Sarah have real redeemable, redeemable qualities as defensemen. If they're put in the right situations and I just really, really, really don't think that the right situation for them is together as a pairing. Um, they, they both need a puck mover. They both need someone who um, is actually effective in not turning the puck over in the defensive zone when the puck's on their stick and they're being pressured. Like they, they need that kind of release valve for both of them. And like, you don't, you can't, like Sharat cannot use Savav as a release valve. And the same thing can go the other way. Like it just doesn't work. Um, I, I think that like, at least, it, are you say, are you saying that because they're just so like there's such similar players being on the way I look at David Savard is a bench I, on the right side essentially. I don't I don't think it's that similar. I think that David Savard is a lot more effective defensively than than uh, Ben Schrott, especially like defending transition. I think Savard is a lot better at like using his body to block like entry lanes and stuff. Um, whereas I think Sherrod, um Again, not my favorite player on the Habs, but he's more of like net front, clear the net guy. Whereas Saval, I think, has more talents defensively and is a bit more diverse in what he can do to to defend. Um, but at the same time, I just really don't think they work together. Like I, I at least until Edmondson comes back, I think that like Kulak Petrie is a great first pair. Like like I've always loved that pairing of Kulak and Petrie. Like. Kulak cannot can barely play without Petrie, but when they're together, it just works. Like it just, it always has worked. Um, and then uh, Romanov Savard, I think, would be a really solid uh, pairing where, like, you put Romanov in a top four role, but you insulate him with a very, very solid defensive player in uh, David Savard, and then you have a very like decent third pairing with Sherratt and Weidman where Sherratt has that release valve that he can use to carry the puck and to be a bit more offensive and Weidman can have a bit more creativity and has a bit of a longer leash to do things he wants to because he has Sherratt back there. So I, I, I would put that kind of a thing. If we see Sherratt Savard as a pairing to start the season or God forbid the entire season, I am going to find it very difficult to watch Habs games because it, at least the thing is in the preseason against like basically the Belleville, the Belleville senators, um, Sherratt Savard pairing was 
constantly, constantly being overpowered. And they just, they couldn't do anything. They were out of their depth against AHL players. <laughs> like, this can't happen. Uh, like, they make $7 million combined. Like you, like, you have to be better than that. And just together just does not work. Okay, well, before before I give my comment, I want to ask Josh uh, to kind of follow up on that because you mentioned earlier how Romanov had a brutal game when he was paired with Gianni Fairbrother. On in practice, he's paired with Jeff Petrie. Now, do you think that um, Romanov can finally evolve into the player that he's supposed to become, especially with a guy of experience like Petrie, um, or is it you know, is, or is he just doomed to be on the third pairing and just be paired up with a guy like Wyman or whomever? I don't think you should put Romanov with wide men. Uh, the problem with the Fairbrother-Romanov pairing that I found in that preseason game was that they're too similar. They, At one point, they sandwiched a Toronto player in between the two of them, and it was awesome. And then the and next then... play, they <laughs> left Nick Ritchie like 20 feet wide open mm-hmm. right in front of the net. They so were chasing they, hits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... He really, I think Romanov would really do a lot better with a more defensive Sherratt or Savard because then they let him go wild. They let him learn. They let him do what he wants to do without having to worry about coming back to defend, which is what you want. You want him to mistakes, but not feel, not give up goals after them. And Jeff Petrie can be that guy, but I think you're also kind of neutering Petrie in that regard because Petrie's going to have to watch out for Romanov. He's going to have to make sure that when Romanov coughed the coughed puck up at the blue line, which he did twice in the Toronto game, that he's in a good enough position to get back. He's going to have to cover for the mistakes that Romanov's obviously going to make because he's a young guy. He's got a tons of skill and tons of talent but he's still learning obviously defensemen they develop slower because they have to learn so much more of the game it's easy you have to read the other players you have to really know your way positionally and I think Romanov's gonna get there he's just not there right now and I worry about how much of Petrie's offensive abilities you're gonna be blocking by having him paired up with Romanov right now. Do you guys think at the same time, when we're looking at the line combinations, um, I'm wondering what's going on with Arturi Lekkonen. This is a guy who not that long ago was deemed, you know, almost he wasn't expendable. Like he, he was used everywhere. He was used on like, especially in defensive roles, but he was used in energy lines. He was covering the top lines and everything. Now all of a sudden he's on the fourth line on the right wing. And while Armia is taking his spot on the third and on the left wing. Um, I mean, first of all, like what's going on with Lekkonen and also it bears to mention that also when we're looking at these lines, uh, Josh Anderson beat up Brendan Gulliger. You know, that, that seems to uh, as well. I mean, uh, I, mean are, I would, I would dis- that way or are we? No, be- no huh? I, I, I think lines one, two, three are interchangeable in terms of ice time. It'll change game to game. It's mainly just a stylistic thing, right? Where uh, with Dwayne and Dvorak, um, with those, with like, I just think it really worked very well with a real power forward on that line. Mm-hmm. Um, because you already have like Dvorak who um, can kind of get those gritty, 
net front goals that Gallagher usually eats up. Whereas on that third line, that's going to be Gallagher's role, right? And I just think it works better stylistically um, with how the lines are drawn up in their core, the current format for the, for the top nine. And as far as Lekkonen goes, like we saw that in the playoffs that if something isn't working in the top nine, Dominique Duchamp sees no issue giving Lekkonen a top line or second line role, right? Like, like Thomas Attar was scratched basically the entire playoffs and Lekkonen had a spot after Jake Evans was injured. So like, like, yes, he's, he's going to be an energy player, fourth liner, penalty killer, but with injuries or um, cold streaks or whatever it may be, he's going to get more time. At the same time, I don't really see a future for Lekkonen in the organization beyond this year, just because he's making $2 million to play on the fourth line. And we already have Armia and Byron that are going to be making 3.4 on the fourth line. It's a, it's a real logjam of salary down there, as uh, Josh has been making very clear throughout the entire history of this podcast. Um, but he's Lekkonen is an interesting case, but I think it's going to be really fun to just watch him play with Adam Brooks, uh, who was picked up on, on waivers today, who is this very, very, like, he's a very fast player. He's a great skater. He's really good at um, carrying the puck. And I think like him and Lekkonen and Armia could be a brilliant fourth line. And like, like you're going to have the defensive presence of Armia and Lekkonen, and you're going to have that quick counter attack ability with Lekkonen and Adam Brooks. And I think that'd be really fun. I was also saying off air to the surprise of uh, Patrick that I think later in the season, it's very possible that, that Brooks and Jake Evans could be interchangeable between those third and fourth line spots just to maybe spark something and just change things up a little bit. Because every time I've watched Adam Brooks in the AHL or the NHL, he's always stood out to me in positive ways. He's he always very hard worker, very quick, good with the puck, gets the right areas offensively. I, I think it was a pretty smart waiver pickup. And like, what are your guys' th- thoughts on Adam Brooks, if you have any? I think it – I'm not, not sure if it says more about Adam Brooks or more about the – bottom six centers or more specifically the bottom line center and how much confidence that Bergevin and Ducharme have in whoever's going to be taken up that spot because they obviously feel that there's a spot on the team for Adam Brooks and there is on that fourth line. But that was Ryan Paling's job to take and he did not show that in the preseason and said Rick Pat has been injured. Matthew Perot, he was fine, but it's an interesting guy to throw into the mix with his skill. Like he did score, like he's scored at the NHL level in a very small uh, sample size, gritty goals, front of the net stuff. But four goals in 11 games, it's not nothing. He can score. He has the skill to do it. It'll be interesting to see how he slots in and how the guy around him react to that and if that picks up their game at all. Yeah, I was actually really surprised with the um, the claim of Adam Brooks. Um, 
mostly because I, I, well, from the rumblings that I had heard on my end, and also with the the injuries on the back end, I thought the Canadians would have like launched themselves on a guy like Andre Suster uh, from Tampa Bay, who was also put on on, on waivers, uh, mostly because you know he's a huge dude, um, you know he's six six seven or something, and he you know he's a right handed shot, but he can play on both sides of the ice. And I thought, okay, well maybe this is a guy that Mark Bergeron will really love. But it turns out no, they went with Adam Brooks and. I'm going to agree with what Josh said um, that, yeah, I, I think it's a situation where the fourth line center role um, is still up for grabs. Uh, Ryan Paling didn't prove that he can hold uh, an everyday NHL job yet. Uh, Cedric Paquette had limited time because of his injury. So he still has to show that, you know, that the role is his. And it also shows that Mathieu Peiro, um, you know, he hasn't played center in, in a while. So he's still, you know, maybe uh, not comfortable enough to be taking the face-offs on a regular basis. Um, I think maybe that the Habs also put a claim on Alex Barry-Boulet, who ended up going to They Seattle. definitely did. He oh, was yeah. their first choice. There's, there, there's, there's no way he wasn't. Yeah. I was more surprised that Anaheim didn't pick him up. Though I'm, not, I'm not quite sure where Seattle would rank in terms of... First. Be- oh, they were first? Okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I would also... First, yeah. Yeah, so I'd assume that Anaheim also would have put in a claim uh, because Joël Bouchard was a former coach of uh, Alex Barré-Boulet, and I think and he loved him. So I, I think, yeah, that there was no way Montreal was getting him. Uh, and I think Seattle got a really solid bottom six center uh, there. And to a lesser extent, I think the Habs also got a pretty solid fourth line center in yeah. Adam Brooks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, there's never enough depth on any position. And this is another situation where again, Hey, you never know. Like someone is on, is on a cold streak. You could replace him. And Brenton Brooks will easily fill, fill that role. And at the same time, well, the cool thing with Paling is that he doesn't have to clear waivers to go down to Laval. So if he really d- d- doesn't work out, you send him down and, and we've got some backup in order to replace him. Now that Exactly. Means- and, and like yeah. worst case scenario, you just wave Adam Brooks later and lose him to waivers, right? Yeah. Like it's, there's, there's no risk here. Exactly. Uh, obviously, you know, a uh, salary cap might become an issue with time. And like you mentioned, you, you mentioned earlier, Sebastian with Paul Byron, you know, eventually coming back probably after the holidays, uh, price as well. But I mean, that's, you know, that's the glories of accountants and hockey and everything. It's their job to do this. They're not us. And also our friends at, uh, capfriendly.com has all the answers as well. <laughs> Love that site. And, uh, but now, uh, Josh, I mean, you're a, a glass half full kind of guy. We always rely on you for a good chuckle and a good smile. So I'm going to ask you to look at the Montreal Canadian squad and put maybe some, you know, rose goggles on or something, because uh, even I admittedly, um, you know, we, everyone, everyone knows by now that we write articles on the side for various sites and everything. And one of my recent ones was, was talking about how we went from this giant high of euphoria in the playoffs. And then we just went, Ew. And we just crashed. And now, like, a lot of people, Sebastian being one of them, are actually saying, yeah, we're not going to make the playoffs anymore. So, I mean, Josh, please tell us something positive about this team. Well, not a first line of Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. And that's good enough for me. They're... That's going to be fun <laughs> to watch, man. It's going to be totally amazing. Especially, it's going to be interesting to see how they're used. Because you pick up... Christian Dvorak and you lose Philip Deno and Deno's one more the premier defending center in the league so Nick Suzuki got a bit of the easier uh, matchups last year but 
it's going to be interesting to see if he gets those full number one center times against Matthews and Bergeron, those types in the league. But if he's kind of taken away from those te- if those players, I think he can truly die point per game we're looking at. I could say Cole Caulfield's going to get 30 goals. That's that's my oh. dream. Yeah, <laughs> that's dream. We'll see. And uh, Well, we said it earlier, right? Unless Spencer Knight, like, you know, starts, ends the year with a 1.5 GAA. I mean, Caulfield's going to run away with the Calder at the very least, though. Yeah, then we won't have to worry about Spencer Knight anymore because he's going to win the Calder and then fall off, apparently. <laughs> Sebastian, okay, so how about you You tell us what you told me because we had a fun conversation on yeah. Saturday after the game. We were talking about the Habs, then you made this big hot take being like, yeah, Pat, the Canadians are not making the playoffs. And I almost choked on my on my spaghetti when we were eating. No, and- no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, I mean, again, I'm, I, I didn't make a blanket statement like that. It was more just with the Atlantic Division this year and the team I'm, I'm seeing right now, I would be – very pleasantly surprised, but like still very surprised to see the Habs make the playoffs. I think I think it's gonna be a pretty fun team offensively. I I just think defensively it's gonna be a little bit chaotic. Um, again, like as Josh was saying, a first line of Suzuki and Caulfield is going to be amazing fun to watch. And like Josh, you said that, that your prediction was thirty goals for Caulfield. Mine was twenty five, and I think Patrick's was with twenty. So we have a nice little step ladder there. Yeah, but. I'm also looking forward to watching Jonathan Drouin this season and just seeing if he can really grow into a skilled role with consistent line mates. Um, and at the same time, like, like there are other storylines that are going to be fun on offense, right? Like I'm going to look at Adam Brooks. I think he's really fun. I think Mathieu Perrault is going to be a really fun fourth liner when he's in the lineup. Same thing with uh, Armia. Like, is he, is he going to find some more consistency? Maybe, right? Maybe that, that contract is going to be a little kick in, in the behind to, to really get, get like a bit more consistency that line offensively. Was fantastic. It really was. That line was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like Jake Evans is going to be fun. It's just defensively. I'm so worried um, because yeah, I mean, it, it, like it's going to be better once Edmondson's back, but even then like Edmondson Petrie solid first pairing. Sure. Right. But then it gets a bit dicier, especially considering I don't really trust how the defensive coaches are going to put out the line mates that like, like the, the pairings, because if they roll with that Savard Chirot pairing, I'm going to be crying inside. Um, but yeah. And then goaltending, this is the biggest question mark for the team, right? Like when does Carey Price return? And as uh, Will Scouch was saying earlier, like, can Jake Allen be that starting goaltender? Because we saw that in St. Louis, in St. Louis with Jake Allen, that he struggled as a starter and was phenomenal as a backup, right? It's just, He's a typical like one B goalie and like he was really good last season, but with Samuel Montembeau as his backup, he's going to get the vast majority of the starts. So it's a lot of question marks and just so it's, it's a really big hill to climb and it's not like the wildcard spots are going to be easy to get either. Right. Like you're going to have to fight out like Boston basically. And then like, Washington, Pittsburgh are going to be in the mix. Uh, the Islanders are going to be in there. The Flyers could be okay. I don't 
I don't know. It's the Flyers. Same with the Devils. Lots of question marks there. But it's just a lot would have to go right for the Habs this season. And even being optimistic, I don't see that. Like, I can see the Habs having a repeat of that uh, season with Max Domi with his breakout, where it was really fun to watch. And they were close to making the playoffs at the wild card spot, but they just barely miss out. That's my optimistic prediction. Um, and then more pessimistic might actually be better for the team getting a high draft pick in a very strong draft class. I think the season as a whole is, go- is going to rely heavily upon Dominic Duchamp. Uh, even before and after the um, uh, guys like Joel Edmondson and Mike Hoffman and hopefully Carey Price comes back. And the reason being is that he's the one who's going to have to make this team adapt to this current reality that is, first of all, we're back to 82 games, which is something we haven't seen in a while. And to make matters even worse, it's a condensed 82 games because we got the Olympics in February. So um, now the issue at the same time is that no matter what way you want to, you want to put it, I mean, like, you know, I, we're having fun here. I got Josh to say something positive and then Sebastian chimed in with something a little more. Okay. I'm going to say neutral. I don't want to pick on you, dude, but realistic. <laughs> okay. Okay. Realistic. You, you, you can paint me as the negative. Okay. So you're the negative Nancy and you're the, po- and you're the positive Pete, Josh. And uh, so <laughs> we're looking at the defensive core. I mean, no matter what way you try to stir it, I mean, it's just not as strong as last year, just because you're replacing Shea Weber with that with David Saval, and that's just the way it is, even though that's not the role that he's supposed to get. Now, that being said, it's going to be up to Dusham to really apply a system that works uh, in the sense that you know we're going to have to score goals, but we really need every uh, forward to come back and play responsibly on the defensive as well, which might mean we're not going to see um uh, as uh, aggressive forechecking that we saw last year. I think, to be honest, we're going to see a very similar style that we saw in the playoffs, which I like to call um, the trap on steroids, essentially, where, you know, there was a lot of like, you know, like like locking down in the neutral zone and even back then into the, to cover the slot as much as possible. And then they totally relied on speed in order to break out. Hence why we had some spectacular goals, like we saw with Paul Barron breaking out. Cole Caulfield like, showed his speed, speed more than once. Uh, even Jake Evans as well, uh, before he went down with that injury, like he was showing a tremendous amount of, of grit and speed and grinded his way into Joshua Rose's heart. There, I said it. <laughs> oh, I just, it, it, it's so great. This, <laughs> this, uh, this preseason, I hope he could keep it up because he's just amazing. And if he could keep it up for this year, he's going to do some special things. Don't break up that third line. That third line has been Montreal, probably Montreal's best this whole preseason. And it's going to be interesting to see what they could pull off. This once. is. Real yeah. hockey comes. I think I think we can all agree. Armia Evans and Gallagher is the new Tatar Daniel Gallagher. Now that's going to be the shutdown line that could potentially even score some some big goals as well. But the question then is, does that mean that, that when Mike Hoffman comes back from injury, that you're putting him on the fourth line? Why not? No, no, I, I'm totally good with it. Like I I'm very good with it because he's not a very good five on five player, but he's being paid a decent amount of money, and he's gonna not like being on the fourth line so 
they're they're yeah there's always, that ri- there's always that r- professional risk you're right you know you're putting a guy who's making over four million dollars a year on the fourth line and you're uh, starting him out there right you're like you're out there yeah you're not but, giving a 30 goal scorer the benefit of the doubt I think it might also it's it's also going to depend on like how the first three line rolls out because if you got a guy like even let's say Duran for example if he if he struggles out of the gate then he might end up playing on the fourth line so yeah there's going to be some spots to, to take because you know like I said Mike Hoffman's going to come back Paul Byron's going to come back at some point and you know you still have to let him play you know so, so we'll see you know we'll see, like there's a, there's a lot a lot of depth there's a, but there's a lot of salary and a lot of pride as well that's going to be played with. Um, and, um, the, the, on, on that, on that note, I mean, it, again, um, the big question as well is going to be which Jake Allen are we going to see between the pipes? Are we going to see the Jake Allen, you know, who carried Montreal for most of the year? Are we going to see Jake Allen, the decent second, you know, uh, but like basically the backup goaltender that, you know, is going to be 50, 50 on his games. And also, um, whether you like it or not, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on the on the shoulders of Samuel Montembeau because now the Canadians basically said, okay, now we got you off waivers. You uh, said you didn't play enough, but now you're going to play. This is your chance. And you're going to play in your hometown on top of that. No pressure, kid. <laughs> right? He, he did play well in that 6-2 game he did. for giving up six goals. He, really he played did. well. Yeah, he was he, solid in that game. He just got completely hung out to dry by his entire defense core. Exactly. But, exactly. Yeah. But you know what, boys? The fun starts on Wednesday against Toronto. So our, our arch rivals, as always, along with the Boston Bruins, of course. And It'll be exciting. It's going to be really exciting. I'm really, really looking forward to uh, to watching some, some, some NHL hockey. Not to say that I don't enjoy all my experiences going to uh, junior hockey as well. And I'm sure Josh will agree as well. Be like us three are pretty much the main guys who are covering junior hockey. And I want to give a special shout out to, you know, the OHL, the Q, the Gatineau Olympic, the Armada Bo- uh, of blainville Bobrian. Kitchener Rangers, Guelph Storm as well for their amazing generosity in order to let us in and work our craft and, and gain the experience. This is absolutely amazing. Of course, I want to give a shout out to Albert Jacai for the for his time in the interview. I'm sure Josh, I know, he, I'm seeing him nod. He's so happy. He was so proud of doing that. And hopefully we're going to be able to interview more players for, for you guys uh, down the road. Of course, we're going to give a, an, another special uh, shout out to Mr. Will Scouch for giving us uh, such a, a, a tremendous amount of time and a tremendous amount of knowledge in his, in what, what was an amazing uh, interview. Um, and of course, um, to our friend Shane Ivers for providing some of the music for us. And a big thank you to all of you amazing fans, whether you're from Canada, United States, Sweden, because apparently we're number 17 in your hearts, maybe even a little higher at this point. <laughs> and of course, you guys can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, Check out our website, uh, www.puckandroll.com. This has been the special for opening night of the NHL season. We will see you next week. Uh, Have a good one, everybody.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.